I'm Lee. I'm Spencer. And this is the Lasso Lowdown. The Lowdown on all things Ted Lasso. Spencer, season two, episode 10. We're back on track. We're back with the plot. We're away from the sort of one-off episodes <laughs> out into a world of its own. No more just beard after hours or Christmas episodes. That's right. We're back in the middle of the plot. We're back in the middle of the season. Season two, episode 10. No weddings and a funeral. Spencer, what did you think? I gotta ask you, man, this is really heavily doubling down the dramedy aspect of the show. I mean, other than Danny being being silly, this is not a comedy-rich episode of television. This is very much a series of dramatic moments that we've been building up to, really, for the last two seasons. For me, I loved a lot of it. I'm curious to get to your thoughts, though. It's the beginning of a Kafka novel, my friend. We're seeing the butterfly go into the caterpillar, the caterpillar to the butterfly. We're seeing a transformation right before our eyes. This show is changing, my friends. It is not the same show we started with. If you like that, that's great. Um, it's not necessarily my thing. It's not why I started watching this show. I mm-hmm. did not dislike the episode. Um, there's some things they did with the plot that were really good. There were some really affecting moments. It's just a different show. Yeah. They seem to be wanting to do something different with the show going into this, uh, the back half of this season. Once we wrap up this season, we're going to do at least some kind of summary of our overall thoughts of this season versus last. But at least so far, it is really hard to view this as in any way comparable to the first season of the show. Just because it is completely different in its focus, in its structure, in its pacing. It, it is a show I still like with the characters I still like. But... To say it is, t- if you watch Ted Lasso season one, you know what you're getting into in Ted Lasso season two, would be an outright fabrication, I think, at this point. We are watching a half-hour, silly, fun, culturally relevant sitcom go into a telephone booth and pull all of its clothes <laughs> off. Quick change. And come out with a, with a leotard that is a one-hour drama. And that's what this show is doing. I mean, it's getting, the episodes are getting longer. Yep. They're getting more serious. They're getting more dramatic. It's more of a serial. You know, I mean, we I know we had these couple one-off episodes sprinkled in. We've covered that. I think that's simply because Apple wanted more episodes and they had to put something in. But the, the actual episodes that have been storyboarded, the through-line plot, are more of a serial um, ongoing drama uh, mm-hmm. than it is. It is like one-off funny episodes. So again, it, it's just a different show. It's It's changing right before us. It seems like they're just their goal here is to focus much more on the individual characters and their arcs rather than the collective team or how everybody fits into that team and the, or the collective story. Really, everybody's on their own journey and they're vaguely crossing paths at a certain point. There's less of a through line focused on like the team, the sport, really AFC Richmond. Instead, we're really much going into how is each person, now that we've set up all of that, going about their life or going about their prior baggage that they're going through things. And it's a very different show and a very different experience. And... I'll be curious to see once we finish things up how both us and the fans feel about how much the show has changed. Yeah, and we'll get into that, right? We'll get into the change and how we how we think about it um, as we go into the episode and our structure of the episodes here on The Lasso Lowdown as we start with Tea Time with Lee, where I've attempted to convince our American audience that tea is not quite as bad as Ted and Dr. Sharon Good luck. think that it is. Spencer brings a dessert to the podcast and biscuits with the boss. Then we jump into the recap, Spencer, every week heroically like Superman leading, like Superman getting in and out of the telephone booth, leading us in the recap every week, banging out the notes. We always appreciate that. Then we do train wreck at the episode. We have some nominees. We've got some nominees mm-hmm. for train wreck at the mm-hmm. episode this mm-hmm. week. Uh, then we do sports center top 10, where we discuss 10, not 11, not nine, not eight, not 12 things that we like about the episode, things we want to call out and discuss more. And then we end with Ted's life lessons of the episode. Holy shit, Spencer. 
That might be the longest segment we have. That might be longer than your recap, Ted's Life Lessons of the episode. I believe because, it. Because, you know, that has always been here on the Lasso Lowdown, the segment where we reserve the serious things about the episode <laughs> for, right? And this is just chock full of them. So I actually had more Ted Life Lessons of the episode for this episode than I have for any of them. We'll see how many we get to based on like kind of where we're at with time and whatever. But I had a lot of Ted's Life Lessons of the episode this episode because, again, super serious. It's really mm-hmm. fucking serious episode. Heavy shit going on. As a matter of fact, I'm surprised you didn't run away screaming. Um, you're not you're not a big like get 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 into your feelings guy. I thought maybe you'd just run the hell away from this show. The power and skill of the acting, the emotional potence of the scene kept me there, even if I would be personally running for the hills if I was stuck in that situation. Along with Rebecca and Abra. Okay, let's get into our segments. Spencer, Biscuits the Boss, what dessert did you bring with us this week? I'm afraid I'm going to have to do a change up on you here, man. I'm going to have to surprise you. But Biscuits with the Boss is going on strike until Biscuits with the Boss returns on the show. I realized as I was buying my piece of key lime pie, which is lovely and I would love to eat it, that we haven't had a single moment of Biscuits with the Boss between Ted and Rebecca in, what, seven episodes now of the show? They barely interacted. Something like that. So I'm afraid that as much as I would love to eat this uh, piece of key lime pie, the segment is on strike until the two of them are reunited with a proper Biscuits with the Boss moment. I'll tell you what I appreciate about this move from you, which, by the way, folks, I had no idea I was going to do this. Um, I like that you did the, um, well... You know, I could say blah, 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 but I'm not going to say that. Like, that's what you just did with the segment. I, you know, I, I could eat this key lime pie Proper lawyer right move. here in front of me that I went out and bought for the segment, but I'm not going to do that because we're not doing a segment. <laughs> that's a strong move. Um, okay, well, there you go. Spencer on strike with Biscuits with the Boss. We'll have to reassess our segments uh, based on the fact that the show, again, Kafka S changing in front of us. No more Biscuits with the Boss. That used to be a fun segment. Every episode. So getting rid of all the fun. It. Getting rid, getting rid of the fun, but I'll tell you what they're not getting rid of is the constant tea hate. My God, were every you, episode. Were you expecting it to come from Doctor Sharon so damn hard this episode? Jesus, man! I they, it's like the one thing they won't get off of. Um, which you know, it's funny, I guess, but man, it is a constant beating on tea. This week, I have brought with us tea. So this this season, I have increasingly tried to link the tea that I choose with the episode and the type of episode that we have. Um, so this week, what I chose is a tea that is a vacation tea. I call this a vacation tea hmm. because I think everybody associated with this episode needs a needs a week. Everybody <laughs> needs somewhere. They need to get out. They need to take a break. I think Jamie needs to get away. Keely hmm. needs to get away. Roy. Hmm. I think Rebecca needs some time. Ted needs some time with Sassy. Everybody needs some time. Mm-hmm. So what I've got for you here is tea that I bought on vacation myself. Chakra Tea Hawaii. Hawaii grown. Ooh. Mama Kai Tea Infusions. This one is called Flavor Blue Magic. It's a blend of Mama Kai butterfly pea and lemongrass. It is a caffeine-free herbal tea. So again, doesn't have the tea plant. So you're not getting, you know, you're not you're not getting like a um a traditional like Right, you're getting tasty leaves. Tea, yeah. It, there's no, there's none of that tea plant in it. Instead, what it is is a collection of, of herbs and plants that they have thrown in for an herbal tea. When, I'll tell you this about this tea, um, it's blue. It's actually blue, which is pretty interesting. Um, the tea itself, they, the way they've done it, they've colored it. It's blue, but it's a very unoffensive flavor. It's, it's very light. So, tastes like lemongrass. Do, do you feel like Luke Skywalker drinking your blue milk on Tatooine when you drink this stuff? I had the thought, yeah, but it's uh, 
<laughs> it's certainly not as thick as that stuff is. Yeah. I'll say this, the Shaka Tea Hawaii brand, um, it's it's absolutely unoffensive. So if yeah. this is why I say it's a nice vacation tea. You know, you're on your third day of vacation, you've just gone on your hike. For you, you've probably like jumped off the side of a cliff or I don't know, done some like you've gone underwater He's to not, visit okay. the Titanic miles below the sea or something. Just to some clarify sort of dangerous thing. For for listeners that don't know that you wasn't suggesting I'm going to commit suicide. I like certain certain aspects of, you know, extreme activities that Lee finds inherently objectionable. Yeah, he does crazy shit on his vacations. But when if you're done with that, it's two, three o'clock in the afternoon, you're not quite ready for dinner yet, you settle down with a book. This is a perfect perfect vacation relaxing tea. So there you go. Shaka tea Hawaii for all the characters in this show that I think thoroughly need a good vacation. Mm, agreed. Agreed. Huh. Okay, my friend, you ready to jump into Season 2, Episode 10, No Weddings and a Funeral? Well, first, I need to spend a minute 44 uh, talking about Foundation, apparently, because, man, do they want to advertise the shit out of that show. What do you think of that show? What, what are well, your, what's your thought there? It, I, I, it's a wonderful series, by Isaac Asimov. Great classic series. Uh, I was kind of like, eh, you know, this could be awesome. And then Jared Harris showed up, and I was like, Okay, maybe I kind of need to watch that now, because that guy's just in good things. Agreed. He seems to have a great agent. Um, but while we're on the subject of different shows, before we jump into the recap, I do want to give a plug for a show. So, I assume everyone listening to this likes Ted Lasso, right? They're listening to Probably us because on. they like the show Ted Lasso. If you like Ted Lasso, and specifically you like this season of Ted Lasso, so the Spencers out there that are here for the drama, that, mm-hmm. like, that like this sort of this turn toward the dramedy away from the comma... Uh, comedy. Um, I would say that a good show for you is Netflix's Sex Education. Heard about that? It's an hour. Lo- yeah, it's an hour long drama, but it has a very similar feel to Ted Lasso. It's one of these like kind of quirky, um, but f- but pretty dramatic in the sense that there's some very serious character arcs. It has the same tone in that it's it's very uplifting, right? It has that positive message that Ted mm-hmm. Lasso has, and to boot Spencer, just to suck you right in. Your girl, Rebecca, is in the show. So she is also uh, an actress in in Sex Education. Okay, you sold me. This is like, you know, the Jared Harris reveal moment. You just need to start with that. Everything else, fine, great. Yeah, she's in it, sold. But people aren't here to hear my, uh, people aren't listening to hear my television recommendation. So I say we jump into the recap. Spencer, fire away. I want to sex you up by Color Me Bad is playing while Sam and Rebecca are naked in bed together looking at each other. Hold on, that's bad with two B. That's bad with two Ds, everybody. I'm here for you. Are looking at each other with adoring eyes and pondering, letting the world know about their relationship, which is Yuck. apparently now in its third week because the show's doing more Yuck. time jumps than late season Game of Thrones at this point. Um, Snap. Rebecca claims to enjoy the secrecy, which seems obviously like she's lying, but it's making Fine. Sam go gray with the stress. They cut to the kitchen Ugh. with Rebecca looking fine in a lingerie top. Uh, uh, I figured that would be your favorite part of the episode. It was lovely. Uh, only for them to be surprised by the, again, sudden arrival of Rebecca's mom, Deborah. Sam is formally introduced with his boxer briefs leaving little to the imagination. Uh, and as he... Like a clunky exposition. As he half crouches to hide his crotch, Rebecca asks what her father has done this time. For Deborah to reveal, he died. Leading to a rather darkly hilarious, yes, the opening credits then start immediately after that line. Yeah, pretty funny. I'll tell you something that that, uh, I give you credit for. You called it. Um, We did a little, I don't even know if it was on pod, but we were talking about 
what we thought the next episode was going to be. And you, I think you had done some cheating. I think you'd done some sleuthing no, in the stills no. for the next episode. Y- yes, and but you, no. you identified that her mother was in it. And obviously we had no, uh, no weddings and a funeral as a title. So you thought that Rebecca's dad had died. That was a very good call on your part. Um, I think that uh, my prediction was no weddings meant that Rebecca and Sam were going to break up. Uh, so I get a little credit too. So I, I shout out to both of us. Between us, between us, we are just, you know, Nostradamus here, predicting the plot going forward. Uh, oh, and then we have the uh, the the time for the cold opening. It's one forty four for that super long ass intro <laughs> advertisement that you referenced to four oh two. That's two seventeen. Uh, so while the show is changing, while it's getting longer, while the week it's unexpected week by week, we are firmly right back into the normal time for a cold opening. Two seventeen is about on par with what it's been the entire series. Well, we cut, we cut from there to the coach's room, and there is a quick shot over the shoulder, and they did this a little last episode, too, but it's more clear this time, as to the new point ta- to, uh, totaled table of where the team oh, is. Oh, I didn't see that. Losses. What is it? It's almost unrealistically ridiculous how good they've been doing since we last checked. Uh, their current point total is 82 points, which is 22 Ooh. wins, 6 losses, and 16 ties. Do you know where we were last back during the Christmas episode when we last saw this? No, what was it? Four wins, four losses, and 14 ties. Meaning they've gone 18, 2, and 2 since then. Hell yeah. That is ridiculous. That is almost unrealistically ridiculous, that kind of streak that they went on in a major, you know, professional sports league. Uh, it also means with 82 points... I'm not points, sure it's unrealistic, but it is It is on the high side, right? It is like a... um. It's a it's a sports center worthy turn. Like it would be, it would get yeah. national attention. Well, it also in, means in the UK they've got two games left in the season. And they already have eighty two points. Eighty two points. If we're basing this on the 2019-2020 season. Means they don't even need to go to the playoffs. They've already qualified for promotion. The two last games don't matter if, the, if yeah. they're based uh, on those totals. Which yeah. So shout out to you. I also want to point out we've had some people in the reviews knock us for not having soccer knowledge. Spencer just drops a little soccer knowledge on you right there. So I just want to push back on that a little bit. It also, for me, strikes me as more than a little bit anticlimactic and reminds me of how much I kind of missed the soccer focus of season one and, you know, the games and the progress and the importance of winning and losing. It's just like they just yada yada off camera that they've already won promotion, essentially. I'm going to guess that they're going to change it so that they still have to go through the playoffs for some degree of dramatic tension. But the fact they went on an 18-2-2 streak and we really didn't know it, it again shows how much the focus of the show has shifted in season two. Absolutely. We started this podcast with the assumption that like 50% of it was going to have to be soccer talk. Um, it's like none of it now. The show's completely changed. I don't even know if they'll jump back into it, but I do I do like that you you had that screen grab because at least now we know where we're going right. Right in the next couple episodes in season three. Well, we've got two episodes and two games, and I'm guessing they're going to set up they have to go into the playoffs afterwards, but maybe not. We'll have to find out. Uh in the coach's room, the coach and Keeley are debating the concepts of death and life thereafter, with Roy being, I guess I'll refer to his, you know, concept as being the most grounded. Uh, think grounded, probably, you know, like, literally in the earth. If you're dead, you're LOL. dead, and that's it. Got it. <laughs> uh, he's just in a drawer. The, the, Rebecca's dad's just in a drawer in the funeral home. Uh, Ted, you know, good, hopes that, where that you know, having realized now that all people have good and bad and do good and bad things, that he hopes just wherever Paul is that he's happy. Higgins. Can I point out that Keeley is wearing a pretty fierce-looking '80s uh, leotard with, <laughs> with perm waves? She's got perm waves going, so she's got a whole '80s look. Uh, 
Keely just kind of lives at a Paula Abdul moment, really. Uh, that's just kind of what her fashion sense is and remains. Big, big episode for Keely. She's a oh. big heavy hitter in this episode. Uh, Higgins' concept of heaven is that we are the pets and the pets are the masters, and he just wants to spend all eternity curled up next to the fire at Cindy Clawford's feet. Aww. Aww. Nate, on point, these are very on point kind of moments we're getting here from everybody. Nate uh, wants to be reincarnated as a tiger so that he can, quote, ravage the people that look at him wrong. Okay, I'm ready to debut this theory. Please. Last episode, I debuted a new a new turn for me, a little swerve for you. I now like Jane. Jane is my number one on the big board. She's my crush. Here's my <laughs> yes. new one. Nate's just a bad guy. Like, is what you're going to heart, here? Yeah, in his heart, he's just a bad human. Like, that's, that's my new theory on Nate. Like, when he's the most honest, he's just sort of a jerk. Yeah, I want to come back as a tiger so I can fucking kill people who look at me wrong. Wow. Yeah, we're seeing the transition. Unbelievable. We're seeing the transition from pitiable to now that he's found a place for himself where he can really reveal who he is. It's kind of a dick. Yeah, not everybody who's being picked on is a nice guy. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good thing to realize and reveal. Uh, Beard offers uh, the... Well, Beard makes a reference to the 21 Grams experiment by Duncan McDougall. Uh, which I'm guessing I'm going to jump on your turf here when it comes to the uh, your, your, our sports that are top 10 later, but I just want to say it because it is a story I didn't know beforehand. Uh, this is an experiment from 1901. It was published in 1907 because even the dude was worried about actually revealing what he did. Uh, that For those playing the Why? Uh, well, Why? It, it, was an ex- yeah, play it. Uh, it was an experiment involving six people in a nursing home who were near terminal cases and perhaps 15 dogs that he just straight up poisoned because he couldn't find sick dogs. Whoever figured that out clearly had to murder someone, weigh them. No, what did he say? Whoever figured that out clearly weighed someone, murdered them, weighed, weighed them, them again. again. You it, live, you die, you're done. Good night. At least with the dogs? Yeah, that's just what he did. The six people, he's claiming he was just there for the moment of their death. We have no oh, way of knowing for sure. He, sure. Just, he just killed the dogs? He straight up poisoned them. He wanted to find sick dogs originally, couldn't, and thought, oh, well, I've got 15 dogs, I'll just poison them. It is therefore presumed he poisoned healthy dogs. That's what's in the Wikipedia. He doesn't say in the study, and then I murdered their ass. But where else he got the dogs from is not explained and very reasonably assumed. And with all of these creatures, uh, he determined that one of the humans lost three quarters of an ounce of weight following death. Now, McDougall himself was the first to acknowledge that he had a very limited sample size, and had extreme difficulties with the measurements. He had to throw out almost all the other humans because he couldn't get the weighing, the weighing done right. And that whatever this revealed, it had to be repeated multiple times to reach any valid conclusions. The scientific community added on the fact that this was exceptionally selective reporting. He had an incredibly small sample size. He had an inability to determine the exact moment of death. They failed to account for things like post-death sweating which all humans go through, but dogs don't, hence why none of the dogs changed weight, even though the humans varied wildly. Uh, but because it's pondering the idea of a soul leaving the body, it has lingered all to hell in the popular consciousness sense. And of course, Beard in particular, it's on point that he would bring this up. It was probably difficult to do the Wayne because, as our man Braun said so eloquently in Game of Thrones, men shit themselves when they die. That too! Yeah! There's a lot of things that happen in terms of biological functions following death. It's part of the reason that people believed in, uh, you know, for a long term believed in vampires is that they'd go into a crypt where the body was laid out and see that, oh my God, the hair has grown. It looks like the nails have grown. The body is swelling and there's moisture coming out of the mouth. It's like, yeah, death does not stop the process of decay and biological functions. But he offers that. Roy, as you note, 
reiterates that eh, it's a fucked up experiment, and when you li- you live, you die, you're done. Keely apologizes for Keely apologizes for his period as Roy leaves, and we cut to Isaac in the locker room. Oh, okay, yeah, 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 period yeah, cut. yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah. Uh, Isaac is rallying the team that they all have to go to the funeral, and they all have to. Shout out so. to my guy Isaac. He has a yes. big episode. He does. Great episode from Isaac. It's a wonderful episode from Isaac, and I like how much they're focusing this season on. The, no, this man's the team captain, and he is wielding Hell that yeah. power appropriately. And he emphasizes that we're wearing ties, we're wearing shirts, and no trainers. Not even Yezzy's late. Not even Yezzy's. Not even Yeezy's. Uh, no, no sneakers for, for everybody. Spencer, question for you. What is the appropriate attire for a funeral? And sub-question, is it okay under any circumstances to wear sneakers? Business dress black. That's what that's what's appropriate for a guy in particular. And no, God no. You this is a formal event, whatever people say. Unless they have explicitly instructed what a dress code is is different. The expectation is formal black. Okay, so I want to memorialize this here on the lasso lowdown. When I die at my funeral, it's okay to wear sneakers, but they ha- MSRP has to be over a hundred bucks. That means you can't wear sneakers, Spencer, because you don't have any. I'm arriving at a business suit because I have nothing else. But MSRP then. has to be over a hundred bucks, <laughs> and then you can wear your sneakers into my funeral. My dress shoes didn't cost a hundred bucks. My dress what? shoes didn't cost a hundred bucks. Well, I can't, I can't control that, but your sneakers are going to have, there's a threshold for your sneakers. It's going to have to be a hundred. Let's get some J's on your feet, Spencer. Let's get some Jordans. I am not staying up till midnight and into the wee morning to wait for shoes. I'm not doing it. And as Jamie reassures uh, Colin, you don't need to do that for dress shoes either because they're horrible shoes that no one wants to wear, which gotta break, gotta break honestly, them gotta break them in guys. There, there are, there are actually really comfortable dress shoes out there. It's kind of a, you know, an old myth that all dress shoes are basically just wooden, you know, Dutch block shoes. But it's a popular trope, particularly for guys that don't wear them very often. Yeah, I mean, we can do this now. Like Danny, Danny just has never broken in a pair of dress shoes. Yeah, like, that's obviously the problem here. Like, I mean, if Isaac crushing it as a captain, one of the things he might have been able to tweak here is, hey, Danny, you're gonna go to the funeral. The funeral's tomorrow. You're gonna wear these fucking shoes for six hours today. Then you're gonna you're gonna bandage up your blisters, and you're gonna feel a little bit better. Or just someone loan him a pair of dress shoes that they own. Like ask Higgins, does he have an extra pair of dress shoes or something? I'm sure he's got like a a damn closet full of them. Yeah, it's great. It's great point. Uh, But although Higgins probably smooth size eight, he's a short guy. You you know, fair point. We don't know. Possible, but yeah, depending on the same foot size, hard to go with. They struggle with the idea of getting dress shoes. They clearly are not familiar with the concept, but they're determined this is the team plan. What Rebecca about Yeezys? Means, uh, not red Yeezys. What color? Sorry, man. <laughs> Bright okay, red. More, bright red. Well, more on that in the sports center top 10. Uh, Rebecca now is in bed in her childhood room. Uh, well, never going to give you up by Rick Astley. Never going to give background. you up. Never going to let you down. Never going to run around in. Dessert you is it gonna be all episode for you, Spencer? I'm hitting you all episode. Was not expecting that to be the theme song of this episode. Never was gonna expect it. But by the end of the episode, yeah, it's actually a really appropriate theme song for the episode. Credit to it. So i, I we talk we're gonna talk we have talked a lot about we're gonna talk a lot about how the show has changed, is continuing to change. One of the things that is not changing Music. is they love to do inside jokes from the writer's room. Yeah. And they clearly said we're gonna rickroll an episode. I don't care how old it is. I don't care if this is a this is an over meme on the internet. We're gonna rickroll an episode, and this is what we got. They rickrolled season two episode. They, ten. they got me, you know, decidedly misty eyed by Rick Astley by the end of this episode. Credit to them. 
If we're going to run around and desert Well, you. apparently like the writer's room, her, Rebecca's mom still adores this song and likes it to echo throughout the house whenever she wakes up in the morning because it makes her oh. wake up happy every day. Man, no wonder her, her dad just periodically left for a month or two. <laughs> Holy shit, that she, would be tough to deal with. Well, she offers that you should feel happy every day, Rebecca. Do you want to talk about that? Because Rebecca notably isn't. And that while the rest of the world has burned out in the song, I don't work that way. When I love something, I love it forever. We will see that line again. Moreover, she keeps this room perfectly preserved the way Rebecca left it because it reminds her of when the two were close, which is a sad line. Uh, Mm -hmm. Rebecca's mom moves to leave, but Sassy has mounted the balcony with Nora taking her time behind her. Is that Sassy Smurfs music? Sassy enters... Enters the squared octagon. Well, Sassy, Flo, Florence, as we now know her full name, uh, apparently could do it drunk in seconds, but Nora takes more than a bit of a spill, but is unharmed, and they all share a nice laugh at that. Nora's the best. She's hilarious. Uh, Roy and Keely are also now getting dressed for the wedding, both looking very nice. Keely looking particularly cute in her funeral dress. She's Um, strong. Very good good episode, or very good um, outfits this episode. Keely is fixated on the weird concept of, going, of a sad party that a, a funeral is, and is also obsessing over the concept of death now that it's here before. So much so that she asks Roy what he wants to do if he dies, specifically if he's hit by a bus. Now, she should have known Roy well enough to not give him that angle. Just ask him what he wants to do if he dies. St- you get an answer there. If you offer the opportunity of a bus, you'll get this Roy answer. Go after the bus driver for what he did to me. Avenge me, Keely. Avenge me! It's fucking hilarious. <laughs> I gotta say this about Roy. Roy is hilarious this episode. And I'm gonna do a life lessons with Lee here right from the top. Uh, Keeley says, funerals are like a party for sad people, like where everybody knows they have to go and be sad. Doesn't have Here's my life lessons. You do not have to be sad at a funeral. No. You cannot, do not under any circumstances appear to be happy that so, the person had died. That is off the table. But if you are in a jolly mood, good mood, trying to uplift everybody's spirits, Totally acceptable and actually a great role to play at funerals. Oh, yeah. that there, There's an obligation to be respectful and to read the room. You shouldn't necessarily disturb the tone and tenor of the room if everyone's having their particular moment. But there's no reason that, that funerals actually have to be sad. They can actually be a very joyous or coming together kind of moment. They can be a proper Irish wake. There's any ways that you can play at a funeral. There's no obligation for it to be a just everyone has come here to sob kind of moment. And I can tell you, I, I covered on this podcast uh, about maybe six, seven episodes ago. I recently lost somebody uh, close in my family. And, of course, we had a funeral, and I was in the immediate family, so I was in the back and doing the whole thing. And I can tell you that as an immediate family member going through a loss at a funeral, I really enjoy the sassy Smurfs of the world. Like, yeah. that's a real, that's really helpful for the immediate family. Mo- most people, at least I can speak for me, but I've, I've seen it in other people as well. They often like to have that one person who comes in and cuts the tension a little bit. So if that's your personality, don't hide it. Like, let that shine at funerals. I think that'll help people. I will agree. I will also suggest that when you are providing that necessary service to the family, do close the door. They don't need to hear raucous laughter happening necessarily in the church room where the funeral is occurring. Necessarily. <laughs> that was a funny, that was a funny ad, ad aspect of this. That they, ah, they kept squealing. Uh Keely wants to be buried in a biodegradable sack to nourish a fruit tree. Lovely sentiment. Uh, Thoughts Roy, on this, Spencer? Uh, I'm okay with it. I, I think I, I think it's a, it's a markedly less wasteful way to go about the process of you know burying someone because funerals are expensive and consume a lot of land and territory. And let's find ways to just minimize that if we could. That is fucking mental. 
Roy is not on board with this. He finds the idea of eating her fr the fruit from her death tree rather disgusting, though is okay with the idea of eating kebabs with hair in it so long as he knows where the hair came from. This coming from a guy who wants to run, ruin a bus driver's life just because he killed you swerving to avoid a child. I, did, I didn't know about the fucking child. I, I like that Keely is so angry she's changing the story in retrospect just because she wants to find him, wants to be angry at him right now. Here's, the, here's another reason why Jane has vaulted to the number one on my list. Um, and Keely is now number two. I couldn't have a relationship with Keely because she's too cute when she fights. You, you couldn't take her seriously? I wouldn't understand it. We couldn't, we couldn't have a, a fight where I took her seriously. I would just be giggling the whole time. She's too cute when she fights. Well, she is pissed and now getting in storms away from the conversation with Roy now being actually left sad going to the funeral. Ted, meanwhile, is proving his earlier st statement from earlier in the season that all the time a man needs to get dressed is to the length of Easy Lover by Philip Bailey and Phil Collins. <laughs> I love that. Connect the jokes, folks. Oh, man, this show is so good at that. They will they will do callbacks, fucking deep callbacks. Oh, and if you ever want an insight to what I do when I'm alone, this. Yeah, but I don't think people are watching. I just totally just dance to music when I'm getting dressed in the morning. It's awesome. You throw on some 80s music, some little Phil Collins, and just let it rip? Absolutely, sir. I get if, 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 in the in the air tonight. I'm I'm with it. All all the songs. It's wonderful. Um, I throw in a little biggie myself, but I you know same sentiment. Uh, we have as he's dancing to this, rocking out. There's a given bit of, the stinky face. Yeah, we get a bit of a pan up camera, which passed by Nate's gift to Ted, which wasn't a good honest moment by Nate. Uh, maybe uh, a, a passed a picture of Ted's son, and as we pan past that to get back up to Ted. Ted, who's now experienced this several times before, begins to have a honest-to-goodness serious panic attack. Uh-oh. Oh, we, Ted. We get flashes to the army man that his son gave him. We get images of him assembling blocks with his son, building that London bus. And then we get a single, out-of-context shot of a dart thrown and hitting a bullseye. Maybe that so, was the same shot from when he was showing up Rupert? I can't be sure. Particularly given his own so prior I history with his dad and darts. Yeah, I think that's the call, right? Is that he's remembering his dad and, he, you know, he made a point in that scene with Rupert of telling Re Rebecca that he, he played darts with his dad every Sunday after church. This episode is a 46-minute extension of that particular scene last season. And I love that scene last season, so there's a lot for me to like this episode. Uh, yep. Panic attacks occurring. Flash cut to the church and the funeral. Rebecca and her mom are doing that kind of greeting people arriving at the funeral thing, which... I've never particularly liked, and I always feel bad for the family when they have to. When they feel like they have to do that. I I tell you, I've I've been so I've been to we, uh, funerals where um, I'm the immediate family member multiple times, unfortunately, and we've done both. We've done where we did the receiving line, and we did without. And I will tell you, without a lot better. It is stressful doing that receiving line because you get yeah. an awful lot of situations exactly like is portrayed here where one of the family members turns to you and says, who is that person? And you say, I have no idea because that shit happens a you lot. do exactly <laughs> what Rebecca and Deborah did. You offer platitudes. You Thank don't you commit for to anything in particular. And Thank you, you. Get, get moving down the line. You know, Paul, Paul really cared. Paul would be so happy you're here. Thank you so much. Anyway, well, of course we're inside. here. Yeah. Yeah. Wake you're at four 30. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Rupert Bex and baby are also arriving at the funeral. Uh, Deborah and Rupert are perfectly polite with each other, but Rebecca can't even pretend to be, stating, I didn't think you were coming. Rebecca, Paul was family. No, I mean, you weren't invited. <laughs> Still yeah. not going to stop Oof. Rupert. Uh, Rupert bringing his baby to the funeral is a hell of an asshole power move, uh, particularly when they clearly have a nanny right there behind them in every shot where the baby appears. <laughs> the nanny's right there. So they, they let you behind the curtain about why Deborah treats 
Rupert the way that she does. Mm-hmm. But I picked it up before she actually does that later in the episode. Yeah. I picked it up right here because the, there was such a contrast to how her and Rebecca were dealing with Rupert. Ru- you know, Rebecca tightened up, really showed her emotion. And Deborah was just like, oh, lovely to see. Oh, like, j- nice. like yeah. And it was so vapid that I thought, man, she's she's handling this a lot better than Rebecca is. And of course we get more, you know, it, it, they uh, talk about that more later in the episode. I love how much better Rebecca handles it the second time. Where she takes a page from her mother's book when she's, uh, you know, wishing Rupert well as he's leaving the funeral. She's learned wh- how this actually should go and how this should work. Don't give him really this love that aspect of the episode. Absolutely. Yeah. The relationship between Rebecca and her mom and Ted talking to Dr. Sharon are the absolute best parts of this episode. They're wonderful, and we'll see them play out here. Uh, oh, sure. Now, in terms of why he chose to bring the baby to the funeral, it either is an intentional dick move to rub it in Rebecca's face, my preferred theory, yes. or he's just so self-absorbed he doesn't realize what effect it would have upon her. Given his little grin and shifty eyes after Rebecca walks away in a flummox, uh, yeah, I think going with option one here personally seems wise. Unless you're close family, and unless you don't have a choice, do not bring your kids to funerals. No, 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 no. Particularly when you've got a nanny right fucking there. Uh, yeah. Deborah, well, but uh, the nanny right there. But? but obviously, but Rupert's wife, obviously much better with the baby. She did eat the placenta raw, so, you know, she's got that going for her. <laughs> Apparently it's established a horrendous magical connection between the two. I have no comment about this sort of behavior. No, none at all. You're not getting involved in the whole pregnant woman thing the way I made a mistake on, on last episode? Absolutely not. Period at the end you of the You are sentence. so much smarter than I am. Uh, how, about, <laughs> how, how about Deborah fat shaming the baby? You have any comment on fat shaming babies? 10 out of 10. Loved it. Okay. Yeah, I, I always enjoy this. when somebody, I always enjoy when somebody, it just says mean shit about a baby. It's just so out of place. It's always hilarious. And we get it later with Keely too. Very funny. I, I've had several friends and family members where they'll do the nice little platitudes and they meet somebody's baby with them. Oh, it's so adorable. It looks just like you. Oh, it's got your eyes. And the moment they walk away, it's like, that is the ugliest fucking baby I've ever seen. God, that baby has a big forehead. That shit just always yeah. just slays me. Uh, Higgins luckily and the team arrive on their bus saving Rebecca from this moment and all of them get out in their assorted suits several of them very delightfully unique and no trainers no trainers to be seen anywhere Uh, which so one thing I want to point out about this is that when Isaac said we're all going to the funeral I turned I was watching an episode of my wife turned my wife I was like that's unnecessary like you don't need like I thought it was just sort of overkill but when they but, got out and I saw Rebecca's face, yeah. like they, the show taught me a lesson there, which is like, I think if you have like a coworker die or something like it, it, it is okay to go in force yeah. to the, the funeral of the coworker or the coworkers immediate family, because, um, you know, your work is such a big part of your life. It didn't, it didn't really hit me until the, like the, the show did teach me a lesson there that I think I'm going to, I'm going to take uh, with me is that. If I have somebody that I work with whose close family member dies, I think it's a good idea to show up because you do go to work eight hours a day for you 16. But like for most people, eight hours a day, it's a big part of your life. Um, you know, you it's nice to, you know, it's nice to, to show up in force there. So, yeah, thank you, show. Taught me a lesson. Well, as you said, it is so clearly meaningful to Rebecca, the fact that they're all there and they're all dressed and they're all not wearing trainers. It's a powerful statement. It clearly means the world around this moment. Not only just because it's just saved her from Rupert, too, and gave her a much happier thought to continue through this funeral with. Uh, Danny hobbles out, his feet already killing him. That's the main thing we're going to see of this episode, is his suffering from not stretching out his shoes before he wore them. Yeah, and I will let you... I'm going to stop interrupting you, but one thing on this. You did mention that 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 one might be the only ongoing joke of the episode. It's otherwise a very serious episode, but the one, like, sort of breath of comedy they give us is Danny with the shoes... 
I didn't find that all that funny. Did no. you? I mean, like, I felt no. like it was overkill. Like, it, so the one thing they did with comedy wasn't even that funny. Well, it was just silly. It was totally, in, it yeah. was totally inconsistent with the rest of the episode. I think they would have been better off just sticking to a theme and doing the humor that they do through, like, sassy. The kind of humor that actually fits in with the theme of the wedding and fits in with talking with other people. Rather than just the silly one-off joke of, you know, uh, like, Birdcage having problems with shoes in the background. That was funny in that movie. In this, it's just not on point. Agreed. Uh... Isaac, Sam, uh, Colin, and Nathan assemble with, to give their condolences, all wearing different suits and all looking, other than maybe Nate, who's the one person who didn't wear fucking black to a funeral, because he didn't. He has one suit. Just one suit. No, he doesn't. We've seen him wear other suits. This man has other suits. This man chose to wear a gray suit to a funeral. I think it's the only nice suit. Maybe that's the, the distinction. Well, he had, remember that kind of like blue suit that he wore previously or power suit that he wore previously? Uh, but he was like, you know, he just got, got his, got his parents, the wonderful table at the restaurant kind of thing. We know he has other suits the man wears. Maybe he doesn't have a black suit in the vest that he could do. Who could say? It probably is his, at least the fact that it's the one that Ted got him, it may be his best suit, as you said. Uh, but Isaac, Sam, and Colin are all wearing very unique suits and looking quite good with, with what they chose to wear as well. But they're all here to give their condolences. Nate, of course, just tries to be different because it's Nate. Fails are utterly. Those, are, the, are the training wheels on the bikes of... Um... Sorry, I, I just didn't want to say what he said, so I, I, I'm sorry for your loss. <laughs> Stick with sorry for your loss, folks. Stick with that. You can't go wrong. Yeah, this is... This, the fathers of the training wheels on the bikes of... Oh, sorry. Th- this isn't a moment to be unique or say anything they've not heard before. <laughs> you're, here to be, you're, you're here to provide support. Don't try to stand out. Uh, Sam gives her a private thumbs up, which he clearly appreciates. She and Beard, I think, share perhaps their first and maybe only interaction of the course of the entire series, other than asking him what he wants for di- wants for a dinner. Uh, when they were like little finger guns at each other. Yep, finger guns. She seemed to do it, know to do it back. I hope. I'm man, prayers up for this. I hope that's just what they do all the time. I hope yeah, every great. time Beard sees her, they have a thing where. Yep, I hope that's it. If they have a thing, I delighted that that's just been happening Me on too. camera absolutely uh, rupert goes to greet sassy sassy is in no mood she's feeling sassy uh she refers to him as a decrepit shitbag and dismisses his idea of magical improvement by means of having a daughter as oh right having a daughter erases all the shitty things you've done to women in your lifetime cool great line uh, rupert i think about your death every single day oh i can't wait i'm gonna wear red to your funeral i'll be the beacon of joy to the other three people there God damn, sassy. Just like, nope, I am not in the mood for your shit. They exit with, always a pleasure, sassy. And fuck off and die, Rupert. Perfect moment between characters. I'm going to steal one of my life lessons, just drop it here. We all need friends like sassy. We do. Because um, I'll tell you, I've, I've had some bad breakups in my life, and my friends always took the tact of being very civil to my ex. And I always wanted one friend to be fucking just sassy, straight up asshole. Yeah, right? like I like like I always wanted that. Like, is sassy being reasonable here? Absolutely not. But I'm just gonna say, just practically speaking, most people want that one friend who, when like your ex screwed you over, to see that ex and go, "Hey, man, you look like shit." Anyway, really sorry to see you. Hope things don't go well for you. Adios, amigo. Sassy will almost never fit with the decorum of the situation, but she will always provide you what you need emotionally. And she has an excellent read on that when it comes to Rebecca at all times. Boy, man, I, I man, everybody needs a friend like Sassy. Absolutely. Uh, in her flat, Dr. Sharon gets a call from Ted, Coach Lasso. Someday she's going to adjust that. And starts talking him through breathing exercises as she realizes he's suffering from a panic attack. And just professional she is, immediately heads out on her bike to him. 
best she can. PSA, this is the 478 breathing, if you don't know what that is. I did not. Having, if you're having trouble catching your breath through a panic attack or any other sort of anxiety, this actually is a really helpful exercise. You inhale through your nose for a count of four. Inhale for four, hold for seven beats, exhale for eight, repeat. It'll get your breathing sort of back on track into a normal like metronome cadence um, when you're when you're having trouble catching it. Is my usual strategy of collapsing on the floor into a little pile not not the recommended one after all? Um, no, uh, oh. <laughs> it's gonna shock you. Oh. Uh, right. But while you're down there, four, seven, eight. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Thank you, I appreciate that. Uh, back at the funeral, uh, Rebecca looks. She's looking over at Rupert and Baby with a look at her face, which seems like it's a mix between she's gonna cry, she's gonna vomit, or she's gonna explode and take all these fuckers with her. One of those three, maybe all three at the same time. Uh, Keely happily comes over to reassure that the baby sucks. Like you said, it's so great when friends do this. <laughs> baby sucks. Uh, it's whack. I hate it. And that they love each other and that she'll be there for Rebecca throughout the wedding right at her side. Until she sees Sassy and screams and runs over ah! like a giggling schoolgirl. Sassy! I love that these two love each other. It's perfect. Perfect. Yeah, it's great. And I also love that Roy just comes over to support Rebecca and just kind of shrugs and says, eh, I'm used to it. Gives her a little kiss and a smile and they share condolences. And I like that the two of them actually have kind of a relationship that they built too as time has gone on as well. Uh, Flo has the same problem as Keely and having a tonal disconnect problem with funerals. And so instead they share a quick girl talk about plans after death, which I got to say, Flo's idea of reincarnating as a really stupid dog. Good call. It's a good life right there, so long as you're in a good home. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't know the difference. You're always ignorant. Ignorance is bliss, right? Mm -hmm. Stupid dog. Give uh, it to me. Hey, question for you, Spencer. Uh, if you could be reincarnated as something, what would it be? Uh, not stupid dog, but good, uh, smart cat in a good home. Sounds like a good life. Nice. Okay. I can't. I couldn't. I couldn't imagine myself being the happy-go-lucky, love everybody, do stupid dog. It's just not in me. The standoffish cat that loves you on its own terms. This is what I offered this equation. Yeah, you, you're. You're. You wouldn't be a good dog. You'd be a good cat for sure. I think I'd come back as as chimpanzee. I want to be as close to human as possible. What chimpanzee in a zoo or chimpanzee in the wild? Absolutely not in a zoo. No. Oh, sorry. Wildlife maybe refuge. A, maybe in a. Per Maybe in a primate rescue center, sure. Yeah, that'd be nice. But uh, probably in the wild is what I'd prefer. But yeah, I'd like, I'd like to come back. You know, I was thinking about bird for this answer, but birds have to do a lot of fucking work. They have oh, to fl God, yeah. literally fly God, yeah. states over. They have a road trip every year they have to do. Um, like, no no exceptions or they die. So I, I'm not, not, hey, I don't think I want to come back as a bird. Hey, honestly, something that might be lovely, New Game Plus might be good too. Same life, just with prior knowledge. That could have some perks as well. For sure, yeah. Absolutely. I'm picking, I'm picking chimpanzee here. Uh, they discuss also the idea of her, and, uh, uh, I'll just say her and Ted in a tree doing what they choose to do. Uh, Cassie and Ted sitting in a tree. F-U-C-K-I-N-G. I used to do that one as a kid, the F-U-C-K-I-N-G. That was always funny. Uh, they're very much descending to about age 12 in terms of maturity and loving that they're doing it. Uh, also, mm -hmm. Rebecca's new potential new man gossip, uh, which they're eating up. Jamie arrives, looking nice in his suit, as commented by Keeley, and the two of them share a bit of a brief moment. There's a lot of little brief moments between the two this episode. And that's when I knew. This is the moment when when Keeley snapped her head around and saw Jamie and they shared that look. I said, oh, fuck, they're going somewhere else. Uh, I don't like where they're going. It's, it, it's schmuck I bait. I, I see it as schmuck bait. They're just messing with the audience. They're not actually intentionally, intentionally, not really intending to do this. They just want to create the idea of a romantic love triangle. I don't think they're actually they're going to go it. in that direction. 
They're doing it. Let's, Schmuck put, let's put that big lawyer bucks on the line nah, right nah, now, nah, Spencer. Nah. Me not and happening. You, they're doing it. Now, uh, uh, as said, Jamie comes over. Keely compliments on his suit. And then uh, Nate and Jan Moss also walk up. Uh, Keely compliments Nate on his suit, recognizing as the one that Ted bought him. Jan Moss offers that, oh, uh, that basically just acts the dick as he always does, calling that infantilizing that another man bought him his clothes, Ooh. which it's I love. I love that everyone's just kind of sick and over with Jan Moss and his and his bluntness. It's just like, dude, fuck off, shut up. J- Jamie's was the funniest to me. That that actor delivered that line well, where he just like, fuck's sake, yeah, <laughs> like, what, like, it, exactly what you said. I'm just over this. Jesus. Yeah. At first, we all found it funny and supported him, but just like. No, you're just an asshole now. We no longer can buy this that you just have no censor on yourself. Uh, Nate reassures the group that no, no, no. Uh, my mom actually buyed me, uh, uh, gifted me most of my clothing. Which is a well, way out of that conversation. <laughs> that's that's infantilizing. Yeah. A man can buy another man clothes. That's infantilizing. And a, a mom can buy clothes. Your entire wardrobe at his age. Eh, eh, eh. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Roy walks over eating an apple, claiming it's from a dead person tree because this is hilarious. All timer of a joke here. For yeah, Roy. it's great. This shit great. is so funny. I I la- like this is the hardest I've laughed in an episode for about three. I know this is not a funny episode. This is a really funny moment. Keely, you have an apple, Roy. Yeah, got it from a tree outside. Tastes like dead people. <laughs> it's, it's great. It's hilarious. I I would have loved him at this wedding. Keely, on the other hand, is not amused. Which no, is yeah. <laughs> which is weird to a certain degree because she's having a blast being silly with everybody else, but with Roy, she wants him to be the serious lodestone she can return to. I'm telling you, they they shut up on the groundwork. Shut up, Keely. I need Keely this. Didn't like him. No. Keely didn't like him being no. around. She was sick of him. She she needed her alone time. Now she's not liking his little jokes. Now she's noticing Jamie looks good. I'm telling you, shut what, up. They're, they're doing it. No, it's schmuck bait. They're just messing with your head. Let it go. Mm-hmm. Uh, while they're having this moment with Roy just suggesting cheer up, it's a funeral. Danny continues to suffer in his dress shoes. As said, I'm already kind of done with this joke, but Jamie offers a really funny line that dress shoes aren't made for people like them. They're made for sheep and muggles and twats. Muggles here, obviously a reference to Harry Potter, the series where good triumphs over evil with half a book to go, and the last half of the book is a random musical. Oh, and Ron's mom kills Draco. I'm down with either of these things if they actually happen. I don't know, though. Shut up with this segment you keep doing now. (laughs) Ah, There's uh, a funny moment. Danny plans to condemn the shoes literally to hell, which is funny, and dismisses the idea that even Jesus' name could be invoked in this conversation. Uh, Back at Ted's place, Dr. Sharon arrives and is buzzed up to find that the place isn't quite a wreck, like unusually so. Ted's are usually pretty clean. And yeah, and I know still... I bring I bring comedy to the pod, but I do want to point out here that um, just a PSA: uh, mental illness very often can present in the inability to do everyday chores. So if you have you're having trouble um, just doing the normal chores that you've done your entire life, washing dishes, doing clothes, making beds, that sort of stuff, um, might want might, might might be some time for some self reflection because that is how it, it it presents for a lot of people. And I like that the show uh, gave us that little insight into what Ted's dealing with. Mm-hmm. And Ted is still very much in a state which, for Dr. Sharon, that even though he's better but not great, for her that's useful because that kind of state is where she actually can do her thing. Mm-hmm. Ted offers her some tea, to which she reveals she hates it, claiming that it tastes like a wet paper bag. There's Come a on, beat, Dr. Sharon. and one of the more darkly funny moments of the episode is Ted saying, after hearing this, I'll tell you everything. 
That's so funny. (laughs) This was what he needed to hear. He needed this common point between the two of them. And because this is why I like the show, Dr. Sharon says, can I sit down? And Ted, in through his pain, says, I wish a doctor would. <laughs> <laughs> Funny as shit. Uh, Beard is now also in the very Anglican church, FaceTiming with Jane, wishing that she was there. She apparently Beard, loves funerals. My... Jane, my girl, looking fly. Uh, she apparently loves funerals and open caskets, which Beard says he does too. Man, these two are a match made in weird. I don't get it. They're weird people. They got problems. They do seem to oddly work for each other. It's strange. But, but, don't like 90% of people secretly want an open casket? No. Like, aren't they I speaking not for one most of those people. people? I am not most one people, of those people. I think, want an open casket because they're, they're curious. No, nope, nope, don't need it. No member of my, I have standing orders from my family saying none of them want an open casket. My family views that as just weird, macabre Egyptian shit. I don't know. I think that's why they do it. I think that's why, like, the Irish wake has put the guy on the bar. Like, I think, I think a lot of people have that. I think that, like, I think they're speaking for a lot of people's subconscious. Well, it's very much a moment of saying goodbye. It's literally an opportunity to be very say goodbye to the person, effectively embodied right there. I just don't need that. I don't want. I don't need that as the last visual. Thank you very much. Yeah, we differ there. I like the open casket. If the person didn't die a horrific death, if, if, you know, if it's a normal oh. thing, then an open casket, I like it. It helps me say goodbye. Very much so. Um, Beard determines that he's gonna, uh, that he's actually going to let Jane attend by means by means of FaceTime, uh, which I thought was going to work out perfect, <laughs> uh, horribly, but actually works out lovely for the two. So That's fine. Fine, yeah. yeah. Uh, Beck and Keeley continue their girl talk very loudly with much laughing over in a side room directly off the church. This is a little storage room that connects directly to the main foyer of the church. Uh, Flo, uh, discussing how wonderful confession is, which, you know, it can be. Uh, when Flo arrives... I need a to- priest bluff and barf at the same time. Blush and barf at the same Blush time. Blush and barf at the same time. Uh, Flo arrives to politely tell them to shut up, but, you know, it's Flo, so she brought wine that she mugged from a choir boy and leaves the door open and helps raise the volume even more. Why does a choir boy have wine? Uh, good question. Uh, well, eh, dangerous question. Uh, they start pushing Rebecca to admit uh, who she is secretly shagging, uh, noting that even though this is the day of her father's funeral, she's still glowing like a girl that just got properly plowed. I love how the British express things. When she said that, did you notice there was a cutaway to um, Sassy, like like very obviously laughing? Yeah, yeah. I, that, like that, I felt, I felt like that might have been a real laugh from the actress. They did not need to fake that at all. That was just funny. Uh, Deborah and Nora then arrive to contain another message from the vicar to please shut the hell up. Uh, with Nora dressed like she's more, you know, set up to be a background character in the Matrix than necessarily attend a funeral, but eh, she looks, she still looks great. Whatever. Yeah, Nora doesn't lean into the feminine wardrobe, which I appreciate about her. I also appreciate this line from Nora. The vicar looked like he wanted to swear. Is everything all right? (laughs) Uh, uh, they immediately transition to basically playing 20 questions. Um... Which is quickly interrupted by Keeley just guessing that it's Sam in a heartbeat because she has that inside knowledge. Tall? Yes. Is it Sam? Is it Sam? How the fuck did you know that? They all squee and celebrate and no one seems at all worried about any of the concerns we've raised. So, whatever. I guess the world of Ted Lasso thinks this is awesome. 
completely blew it off as if it's not a big deal. No one takes any any of the weird dynamic Can, things that we pointed out seriously. No one raises it. Matter of fact, Nora calls her a boss ass, ass well, bitch I for it. It seems that. like seems like Sassy and Keely are really into it. Yeah, boss ass bitch. Like, I, look, we like Nora, but come on, that like you literally are her his boss. You're calling you're, that it, out in in how you're congratulating her for it. Not a good look. Well, it's t- it's. Tying this to the only moment we got of her being a boss, at, being actual boss of the team this whole season, and they're t- tying it directly to this. It's like, eh. like, can you? This may be a bit of a girl talk thing, and just celebrate and squeeing for and being happy for. But can you imagine if it was you know you revealing that you're dating like a 21 year old employee of yours to like four of us, four four of the Magnus? Yeah, guys? and you all go, and then you all go, hey, you're such a great manager. <laughs> what? <laughs> like straight up. It would be straight up to like, we could not contain ourselves like, okay, we need to mock you how horrible an idea this is. I don't know, man. I feel like you guys would swing on me. Like, I feel like, yeah. <laughs> like that's a terrible idea, yeah. Terry. No, it would. Come it, on, it, come on, Lee. This would be straight up we would throw your way. But apparently no one is going into all the problems we had and they're not really going to address them much this episode. So whatever. So uh, I think our critics are going to claim a victory there and I'll give it to them. Uh, well, not not fully. They, they don't end this relationship. They don't end this episode together. So that's a separate thing to talk about. Uh, though now thoroughly annoyed, the vicar now personally charges in himself to get them to please stop being the gibbering gibbons that they are. Uh, and they exit with some little gibbering bit of apology. gibbons. That's not, not, not an expression you've heard before. Never heard that one. I like it. I'm here for you. Uh, Doctor, now cutting back to uh, Ted's flat, Dr. Re- Dr. Sharon reassures Ted that what he's going for, what he's fe- going through is perfectly normal, what he's feeling. That Thinking back that, you know, he's just comparing this to going to his dad's funeral. Ted didn't go, though. And nope, nope, in his nope, words, nope. the reason is, his dad quit. Quit on his oh. family, quit on himself. We're punching me in the heart for every moment we've got um, going forward for like the next 15 minutes of this show. Yeah, I mean, I have no problem revealing some things about myself on this podcast. I cried when that that he said that. I really did. Um, not like sobbing, like blubbering, but like tears came down my face because that is tragic all the way around. Um, that is 360 degrees tragic, that line, because he quit. You know, he quit on his family, quit on himself, and I hated him for that. I think I still hate him for it. Oh, it, my God. It did. It literally brought tears for me. Um, that was really hard. I'm, I'm going to let you know when I teared up. It wasn't this moment that that was a hard-hitting line, but yeah, I I went from misty to pretty much sobbing by the time the the series of Ted moments we get here comes to an end. Uh, Dr. Sharon tells him that, you know, that's okay. It's a difficult thing to make sense of for anyone, especially his teenage, especially a teenage son. And she asks him to share what happened. Uh, mm. Back with... Back with Rebecca and Deborah, they are discussing the idea of her doing a eulogy, which she doesn't want to do because she's got nothing nice to say. She's still angry. Well, I just want to point out where she says, I have nothing nice to say. We tie into Dr. Sharon's exercise We're with Ted, and then Ted later does it. I, I just love the through line there. Uh, the, I just want to point out, people should remember that that little beat that she can't remember anything nice to say about her dad. The through line they do in terms of connecting the two of them and their own experiences and their own tra- trauma and difficulties with fathers that they clearly cared about and loved before these moments, before these revelations, and linking those two and jumping between them, it's beautiful filmmaking. It's really well done. It's it is straight up, the, the two of them just won Emmys a second ago, but hey, everyone, look at what there's going to be their nomination tape for next year right here. Uh, 
Huh? Yeah. We're gonna see we're gonna see some contrary views, maybe. Yeah, let's go through the scene and then I'll I'll I'll, I'll uh, hit you with it. Okay. Um. So Deborah offers that you know he was a good father, he was a wonderful husband. Why are you so angry? Rebecca snaps at that latter one and uh, mm, just claims mm. that she is so sick of keeping secrets and reveals, and I do reveal with massive air quotes because she doesn't actually, that she saw her dad cheat. Well, it looks real that her dad cheated. Uh, and as she goes into her story, we cut between her and Ted recounting the traumatic father moments. We'll start with Ted first. We'll just do all of Ted and then we'll do all of Rebecca because I don't want to jump in between the okay. two. It's, uh, Ted, he and his buddies were going to do a Friday the 13th marathon. Good call. We'll Shout do something out. similar. Yes. For sure. Check out our review of the original Friday the 13th on Mangum Talks. Uh, we reviewed the, uh, the whole movie. Yep. Uh, original Friday the 13th actually sucks. O- overall series, pretty damn good. Uh, I disagree. Check it out. That's a tease we call in the business. <laughs> uh, he went up to his room, though, and then he heard a bang. And then he found his father. And <sighs> then, <sighs> through crying and choking and tears, he had to act the adult and call 911 and tell his mom that she needs to come home. And Dr. Sharon says she's sorry for what Ted's dad took away from him. With Ted emphasizing the response, and my mom. He's done this a couple times now. It's not just yes. that he took away from me, from us. She starts to refocus him, though, asking him to say what his dad was like. And Ted offers some kind of platitudes at first that, you know, he was a good man. Chatterbox. Maybe could have been a better listening box. She pushes him again, though. She says, Ted, what did you love about him? Because, you know... So, give me something that you remember that makes you feel good. And Ted struggles for a second. And then he summons an absolutely lovely memory of his dad staying up all night reading Johnny Tremaine to school his son on the car drive to work the next day so that the son could get a good night's sleep and not worry about a piddling test the next day. That got me really fucking misty. Because I've got so many lovely memories of my dad, my parents, my mom too with those almost exact kind of moments. So I was really getting misty there. And that memory, that lovely memory, gives Ted some element of realization, not quite closure, but realization that his dad was a good dad. But he doesn't think that his dad knew that. And that if he had known that, and about other things that he didn't think about much, maybe he wouldn't have done what he did. And he wishes he could have told him more about this, that he loved him, but he was just so angry at the time for being away. At this point, I'm just straight up tearing up. But, um, and but, I knew right then and there that I was never going to let anybody get by me without understanding they might be hurting inside, you know, because life is hard. It's real hard. I love that bow tie they put on the end of that because yeah. it, it, it explains, you know, it absolutely explains Preach so much it, brother. Dad, that he will not, he, he took, he did not identify the pain in his father and he, will exercise that demon the rest of his life by every time he sees somebody treating them as if they are hurting inside. And that's why you get that sort of abundance of enthusiasm about life yeah. and always interacting with people the way that he does. Absolutely. Never, for, you know, how many times have we noticed throughout the halls of, of Richmond that he notices every single person? He knows every single person's name. He no takes one gets time past to speak him. to every single person because he doesn't know what that person might be dealing with kind of assumes that they might be hurting and takes the steps that he can to make their day better. It's very, uh, very much explains how Ted operates in the world. And I love the backstory. It explains why he's such a wonderful person, why he has such a magical effect on those around him. But it also gives us an insight into what pain that, what pain that's coming from, what determination that's coming from. And, you know, I'm at this point practically sobbing even on rewatch during this scene, but it 
Ted just even adds a capstone of where he gets up and asks, you know, is it illegal for me to ask for a hug? Of course it fucking so, isn't. No, yeah, in therapy it's not. I mean, you might have a therapist who doesn't want to, but like it's not like some hard and fast rule that a therapist can't hug you. Um, I do want to point out something here that Dr. Sharon, this is, an, this is a really great representation of what therapy can be. It, therapy is not, and a lot of people get confused about this. A therapy is not you spill every everything, all of your guts, all of your secrets, and then the therapist goes, "Okay, well, what I want you to do is wake up tomorrow and do X, Y, Z." Instead, what they do is ask you questions so that you come to realizations that help you deal with things on your own. It's like yeah. it, it's a it's a teach a man yeah. to fish situation, and that's what good therapy is. And Dr. Sharon absolutely encapsulates that here. They seem to have a really positive, healthy patient-therapist relationship, and I love that it's being portrayed that way. I also want to give a big, monster, huge, two thumbs, three thumbs, four thumbs up shout-out, five-star review of Jason Sudeikis' acting here. Good God, Deserves the Emmy. Deserves the Emmy. That was huge. Um, He really is a great drama actor. Like, I don't know what his career is going to be after this, but he could absolutely, I think, move into nothing but dramatic roles and crush it because... This is this is absolutely impacting his acting here. I thought it was really really good. Absolutely, hundred percent agree. Uh, and I like that the two of them, even as they're you know sharing this hug and dramatic moment, they share a bit of a laugh that you know she's totally going to charge him for a house call for this, yeah. and that he appreciates her integrity. <laughs> the, charge you for the full hour, even though it's fifty minutes. Absolutely. Rebecca, meanwhile, she and Sassy came home to nick a bottle of wine from the drink cabinet. They heard a noise, of course, and they found her father in the act. She ran away. And the next day, her father said nothing about it, and they never discussed it again. And that's why she's angry, and that's why she's always hated him and still does. Again, not so much for what it was doing to her, but for what effect and what it was doing with respect to her mom. Which we see even more when Deborah reveals that she knew about the cheating. She always knows everything. It's nature of who she is. Rebecca says she know everything. that she hates Deborah, then. For letting him treat her like that. Again, emphasizing the ba- some of the basis of, De- of Rebecca's anger here. Rebecca claim- uh, Deborah claims to not be as strong as Rebecca, that she was too scared to leave for good. Rebecca says, that, I was, of course, scared to leave Rupert. Being alone is fucking horrible. Then she has that kind of little beat moment of realization that it's also necessary and that it's actually started to feel rather wonderful. And she gets this big beaming smile uh, on her face as she realizes that. And that's when we know. And that's when we know. She yeah. wants a little bit longer of being single. Can I... Can I- uh, push back on on this scene a little bit now, please. Absolutely, it's not done, but let's. It's, 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 I'm no, curious no, your right, thoughts. Right. Yeah, let's no, let's finish it up. All okay. right, let's finish it up. Um, Deborah refers to Rupert as a self righteous shit, which yes, yes he is. And Rebecca asks, then, why are you always so nice to him? To which Deborah explains in a way that I, you, neither you nor I needed ex, any explanation, but Rebecca apparently really needs that. Well, the best way to deal with people like that is to make sure they can't get to you, and you yes. know. Grinch sister. And when all is said and done, what's more important? Being loving or being right? Which, that's also a hell of a statement right there, too. Fuck, yeah. That is it. Man, mom teaching daughter lesson. Shout out. Yeah, mom is very much serving in the role of a Dr. Sharon kind of here. And it's, she's really doing a wonderful job of it in a lot of ways. And I like that Rebecca takes a lot of it to heart by the time this, this episode is done. And then she continues that she compliments Rebecca for leaving and determining that she deserved better. But for her, for Deborah. She's got a lot of baggage. She knows it. But when she loves something, she loves it forever. And even though her father treated her like that, it's okay. It's it's what she wanted. It's what she needed. She didn't need him to be perfect. And then she ends it with an absolutely powerful line of, you know, I'm actually glad to hear that you hate me. 
All these years I've thought you didn't feel anything for me. I'll tank your anger over your indifference any day. Oh, man. And the vicar interrupts at a key moment, and it's time to go back in for the funeral. Your thoughts, sir. I think it's a powerful scene. If you want to talk about the acting a little bit, I'll definitely hear you. So, uh, first off, I, I do really like the I'll take your anger over your indifference every day. Nothing nothing worse in cutting than someone you love not feeling anything for yeah. you. Just not caring, not thinking about you. Um, and that could be a romantic interest or that could just be somebody you love in your family or platonic. Man, that really cuts deep when they just when they just reveal they don't care anything about you. They just don't care. That's hard. Um, I also really like how her mother draws the distinction of, look, how you handled this situation as an adult is great for you. And I'm proud of you. But I am a different person than mm-hmm. you and I needed to handle it this way. I think a lot of children get confused about that because they do something in their life and they go, mom, why couldn't you do what I'm doing? Why can't you do this? And it's like, they're a different person. They have their own set of mores, values, and experiences. They're going to treat life differently than you. And I think that's something that most people, it's helpful to just accept and not assume that everything that you've triumphed over or that you've realized in your life, that your parents are going to do the same thing or have done the same thing. And I think Rebecca logically knows this, but we have a nasty tendency when it comes with our parents to kind of stop our impressions with them, emotional or just even data-based at about age 12. That's kind of the point yeah. that our views of our parents crystallize and we have a hard time ever getting beyond that. So everything our mom says makes perfect sense and Rebecca knows it, but she's not coming to it from that perspective. She's coming to it from the perspective of a 12-year-old or whatever she was who just saw her dad cheat. Until you get to that point where your parent can have like, that flips talk. and you have to take, you have to, you have to, well, it flips and you have to take care of them. Yes. I think most people, oh, yeah. they do kind of view their parent as that, like I'm a 12-year-old and, and I, you know, my parent is like my parent Superhero. until... Until they're in a wheelchair, right? You have to take care of them. But here's my issue with the scene that I kept alluding to. Please. Um, I have a, I have kind of a problem with them putting on par and comparing through, yeah. The, yeah. The, through the thing, Ted's dad's suicide and Rebecca seeing her dad cheat. Here's what I want to say about this, is that when a parent cheats, they're cheating on the other parent. Mm-hmm. They're not cheating on the child. Like, too often children view a parent cheating as you're cheating on our family. And right. that is really, really painful and and destructive and poisonous for someone to think that way because it's just not true. Mm-hmm. Put yourself in that position as an adult. When you cheat on someone, you're cheating on your spouse. Not, you're, not, you're not cheating because you don't like your child. Yeah. Like that, that, doesn't, that doesn't at all make sense if you think about it from the perspective of the adult. But most children Do view think it about through that, that lens of you're, you're, you know, you're, you're betraying our family. So I don't, I understand it's absolutely a valid emotional response to be upset when your parent cheats, but I think it's something that needs to be blunted a little bit, needs to be talked about, and you need to step down from that pedestal of, hey, you have you have harmed me in this action as a child as opposed to my mom or my dad. I just don't think these two things are on a level. I think when what Tad what Ted went through is so far and above more traumatic and painful. I don't like that they drew a parallel to the two of them. I wish they would have let those two conversations exist separately as opposed to flipping back and forth between them because I I would want them to emphasize just how different and powerful and impacting what happened to Ted was. I don't like they conflated it with a parent cheating. I will agree that it can have that connotation just based on how they were necessarily filming it of the two jumping jumping back and forth between them of them happening at the same time of them playing out in that particular way. I think their intent was more to say about for the characters, it's this kind of moment of realization about the problems they've had and how they've influenced their lives and where they can go from there for that, which they're both going through and having in different ways with different degrees of, you know, 
level to them, certainly. But it is still a similar moment for the characters, and it shows how much these two are very much joined to the hip and mirrored in terms of importance throughout the show, where their journeys are kind of what keep the show together wherever else we may foray and go. I can but, agree with that, and that's why I, I would want them to... I, I like that the scenes are close. Yes. But jumping back and forth between that's them... Fair. It draws too tight of a parallel for me. Um, and I want to say that, that um, for me, um, Ted talking about hearing his father commit suicide, seeing it, having to play the adult, having to call his mom is probably probably the most painful thing I have I've seen on a on a screen in a long it time. It was incredible. Um, I wish they would have let that exist on its own. Holy but, shit, that was that was serious. I of the two, I love both scenes, and I love particularly how Deborah, how what she says and how she works and tells Rebecca these things. It's wonderful stuff you're getting from her. But in terms of just power of, of the scenes and wonderful acting. Ted's stealing the show 100%. Jason Dix is stealing the show 100%. That's so wonderfully done. One of the best scenes of the show. Um, I know. And I wish Deborah would have had the same conversation over um, Toad in the Hole with Kendall Roy in the morning when he said he had something to talk to her about. It, Shout out Succession. If you want to hear our Succession <laughs> coverage, you can go to uh, our podcast, Line of Succession. It's our, The podcast feed is live called Line of Succession. It's another podcast by Mangum Talks. You can check out our season one and two coverage, which is up on Line of Succession now. And we will be here with you for season three. That's a plug. Marketing professional right here. Uh, the funeral goes on. Uh, prayers are read, hymns are sung, Beard's FaceTiming the whole thing, and I love that J- uh, Jane is actually singing yeah. along to Amazing Grace. That was great. That was kind of cute. Jane's the best. Uh, the vicar offers a few remarks about Paul and his love of attending church to watch the Richmond game on his phone. <laughs> that's pretty funny. I mean, that that's that's preacher funny, but it's funny. It's preacher funny, and it's the moments you like of where they are, that kind of personal touch. Whereas the preacher said, usually i got to fake this, that I had any personal connection there. But let me actually tell you something that's personal that we all can share a bit of a laugh at. He grounds it back in you know, his love of the love of the team was also his dedication to his family, which we can debate whether that's true or not, but it's the proper platitude you want to hear at a wedding, and it's a good transition for Rebecca then to come up. Preacher does a pretty good job about this. Or Vicar does a good job about this. Uh, it's Rebecca's time for her eulogy, and she gets up there, deer in the headlights, nothing prepared, and she struggles for words. Just in time for Ted to arrive. Her rock. He's returned. He sits in the back. They acknowledge each other. There's a smile that comes on her face. She's still at a loss of what to say, but she starts to find an idea of where she starts to sing Never Gonna Give You Up. And no strangers to love. you could write this off as the writers rickrolling the audience. You could, but it isn't. Because if you actually look at the lines and look how it fits in for the characters, it's really the kind of perfect thing for her to do. The lyrics are on point. The song is meaningful to her mom and her family. It's a touching moment and a gesture that the crowd is at a loss of how to expect, and so she starts to falter. But Ted, of course, Ted, he picks yes. up the tune. He picks up the tune. Well, starts... she falters at never going to run around and desert you, never going to make you cry, never going to say, say goodbye. And she couldn't say it, and then he picks it up, never going to say goodbye, never going to tell a lie and hurt you. And he picks it up. It's off tune, all the shit, but who cares? Keely starts to follow, and then the entire crowd Sam. joins in. Shout Sam. out to Sam. He Sam picks it up, too. too. He does. Yep. Uh, everyone joins in. They're all singing it in delightful tone for, for a funeral. I'm getting teary-eyed to fucking Rick Astley. Uh, they Hannah, did it! They That is that is how they Rick rolled you. 
Yes, that's how that they did it. How they they did put it. the fucking thing in, and they made you take. And they uh, made it work. They made it work. Amazing, it was beautifully. That, that is real strong work by the writers. After Absolutely. Twenty years of being Rickrolled, they made it meaningful. I didn't think that was possible. Yep. Credit to them. Made you cry to Rick Astley. They even do. They even do a call and response to it. Everyone's smiling. Everyone's having a great moment. This is the perfect kind of funeral experience that everyone needs to have. Rebecca sincerely thanks the whole room. The organ player picks up the tune as everybody leaves. Man, what perfect pitch that person must have. You know they didn't have the sheet music there. They just picked it up. Let's they go. Play Let's play in my ear. Cr- credit to that guy. That guy needs more work. Having reached a better state, both emotionally and greater understanding from her mom, Rebecca is now able to do the exit glad hand with the exact kind of meaning, meaningless platitudes that you actually need to offer to Rupert. It was yes. so nice of you to come. It was so lovely to see you. Would you like to join us over the house? Now, I love when she says that. Rebecca's still smiling, but sassy over her shoulders, just looking with this just evil grin. Yes, please come. It'll be great. Uh, yes. I, I, man, I love this scene. I can't yeah. Yeah, go ahead and finish it, but I loved it. It, absolutely great. Rupert realizes that this is a wonderful way to get murdered if he actually takes up that offer. It's also just a horrible idea. So he says, no, actually, uh, we uh, it's, it's time for nap time. Uh, for you and the baby, boom! Sassy on point. Everyone shares a polite little laugh at that one. Got him! Uh, no, actually, apparently, Bex actually sleeps in the crib with the baby because that's the only oh, way they'll sleep. Yeah. Oh, that's oh, a thing. Yeah, yeah okay. Mm, okay, yeah, nice. Okay. And so Rupert moves to leave. But he's not done. Rupert's never done. He comes back and says, oh, no, I talk with Bex, and we want to we want to give you back the Richmond shares. It's a, it's a funeral present of sorts, because, you know, who has time to watch footy anymore? And they treat that as weird. Don't have enough to really work on there until Rupert then walks over to Nate. And he whispers something in Nate's ear. Whatever could he be saying? I have a theory. And Rebecca looks What's on your theory? very Let's concerned. Let's do it now. Uh, confl- Rupert's working to avoid a conflict of interest because he's buying another team. That he's selling off his shares because that's verboten for you to be able to own, I think, ownership in multiple teams at the same time. I think that's true across almost any sports league. And his little talking to Nate, he's trying to option Nate to join the to, to uh, join the team that he's buying. Is it, is it a head coach or assistant coach? Couldn't say. But I think this and is the evil will. thing he's setting up. And Nate will. Nate will take that job. Do, Why? Do you, because Nate is not a good person at heart. What, what are your What are your thoughts on this theory? I, I, I think I think hundred percent agree. Can't. Yep. Absolutely. And I'll tell you this. I didn't even think of that. I'm gonna give you. I could sit here and pretend like I did. I didn't think of that. I actually have in my notes, Spencer. What do you think he said to Nate? As soon as you just dropped that, clicked for me a hundred percent. Like glass shattered. Scene makes sense. I completely agree with you. So good, good work. Finale episode. Nate's leaving the team and joining Rupert's new organization. That I, I completely th- buy into that. I think this is what we're seeing going forward, and I think I, that it's a perfect plot point of what Nate's journey's been on this whole season, and a wonderful way for Rupert to return to be the abject ass that he is. And I'll love to see Ted, Beard, and Roy kick his ass all over the pitch. In season three, just built around them humbling the, the uh, asshole yeah. Nate's become. Just I would, destroy him. And I would appreciate if Nate's journey is multi-season, because it needs to be realistically for where he's come. And if it continues that way of just properly humbling him and gaining him some perspective on himself next season, I'm with it. Uh, and it, just him being a villain, that could be awesome next season. Him and Rupert as a tag team villains. He'll turn. Yeah. Proper turn. wrestling right there. Uh, now, 
after the funeral, uh, Rebecca is talking with Keely and Sassy that she's going to break things off with Sam. Not because of the age thing, which they offer. Uh, maybe because of the press stuff. Quite possibly because he's packing too much Heath for Uh-oh. her sheath. Um, there it is. I wonder if, where you're going to go. <laughs> I, I got a, too much heat for a sheath or, almost, or, or too much heat for a holster. Uh, I think the holster was actually more accurate for the packing heat thing. Uh, Sassy takes this cue, though, to head over to Ted. I love she says, on that note, and heads over to Ted. Yeah, that was uh, pretty funny. Beard demonstrates that he's the greatest wingman in history because he just kind of grabs the old dude and said, you were talking about 1966 and just leads them away. Billy so that- and I were just going to go over here to talk about 1966. Yeah, Beard, man. Uh, always a uh, lot of social acumen from our man Beard. To give Ted and Sassy that kind of moment alone because he knows. Uh, Rebecca then girds her loins and heads over to talk to Sam. Danny interrupts. You'll as be all going- right. You'll be all right. But be gentle. All right. I love that Keely said be gentle about how you break up with Sam. Whatever we've said about the relationship, they're both good people. They both mean very well. We wish wonderful things for them, and this is going to be unpleasant, particularly on Sam. We haven't gotten much as we haven't gotten as much of Sam's perspective as I would like as to the relationship. It's been very much driven by Rebecca's experience and Rebecca's journey, and so I appreciate Keely mentioning that Sam's a person in this too, and he's a great egg, and this is going to hurt him. You're right about Rebecca and Sam, and and one of those characters, as a real positive, and one of those characters is realistic. Okay, well said. Um, Now, (laughs) Danny interrupts uh, to thank her for loaning the slippers, because Danny's just been totally interrupting the entire episode. Uh, Refers to her as an angel in Spanish. Uh, And then, as a further interruption, Jamie walks up. Dum, dum, dum! They're doing it, Spencer. He's been staring at Keeley intently all day, and then he comes over to say that he didn't Mm -hmm. come back to Richmond only for the reason to show up his dad, and that, you know, he's finally becoming a better version of himself, as she always thought he could be, and though he knows that this is Mm -hmm. a mad, shitty thing to do and say, he feels compelled to say it, it, that he loves her. There it is. And he says it. He says it out loud. Did you see the look on her face? How would you interpret it? Because it's a look stunned but uh it it, it clearly broke down her walls it i af- think it affected her it, it affected absolutely it affected her she's look they've laid the groundwork for this because when he was no, following her around yes he yes huh when yes huh look i've become a 12 year old um <laughs> when when he followed her around to the coffee shop right when he was trying to get back into richmond and, it, and under the guise of i'm gonna ask you to get ted to help me get back on the team right he followed her. He said, I've actually been following you a long time. He admitted that. What did what did Keeley have the most emotional reaction to in that scene? It was that he deleted her number. Yeah, it, it's true. We did. Kind That's of what Keeley had the biggest they, problem with. They, they have laid the groundwork for this. Now, that is one off moment they haven't discussed once again in the course of this entire series. We, they give like three moments in this episode just because they want to set up, the, you know, again, my opinion, schmuck bait, ro- schmuck bait romantic triangle bullshit that is... Show you're better than this to set up this just needless tension extra to add to the I'm plate of things you. the last two episodes have to resolve. He showed up at her house and she gave him almost equal footing on that and that table with Roy. She allowed him to talk, to make jokes. She let him in. Season I mean, one. I'm telling you, season one. Season one. Um, Roy then comes over uh, and apologizes for being insensitive the whole day, which is fair. I mean, it's, I, we found it hilarious, but it's clearly not what Keeley wanted, and he kept on doubling down on it. So it. It's fair that he would come over and apologize for being insensitive to what she needed. And he also reveals some of his own struggles with loss and death, particularly with the idea of his prayers going unanswered for, to get the Obi-Wan Kenobi moment that he wanted with his granddad. 
um, yeah. mm, which, which, is, which is a powerful moment. And then he tells her that you know he doesn't want to waste any moment himself and says that he loves her, which is, is this the first time he's ever said that? I think that, so. That we've heard. She doesn't say it back, but she does get a little bit misty-eyed and immediately kind of jump into his arms for a big hug. Mm-hmm. Um, I said, I find this just needless romantic tension that the show doesn't need with all the other plot lines and balls they've gotten hanging up the air and things they've never already set up and returned to this season. They got enough to resolve in the next two episodes. They have no chance of doing it all. You don't need to add this Friends bullshit. Thank you. Okay. There wasn't Friends bashing right, you... for each episode. Okay. Yeah. Well, absolutely. Had to check that box. Fuck Friends. We got that. Uh, uh-huh. Question for you. You seem very, very intent that this is just a red herring. Yes. Okay. Got it. Got got, got your opinion. But let's let's push that aside for just a second. Let's think. Okay. Go through the mental exercise. What if they do it? What if she breaks it off with Jamie or breaks it off with Roy and goes with Jamie in the final episode of the season? Then what would you think? That's that's where I want to get you to. What would you think if this is not a red herring? This is really where I, they're going. I, would, I wouldn't like it, like in any sense. I, I, f- I found her and Roy to be a very adult relationship that I very rarely see on television. And so just in terms of going back to Jamie, I he has gotten more mature, but he's still very much a child. I don't think she that they'd ever have the kind of level or type of relationship she's had with Roy that I've actually come to very much appreciate. Um, you've found the idea of her and Roy starting to degrade at you to a certain degree just because they always resolve all of their problems in the same episode. So maybe you're actually kind of looking forward to this for the extra, you know, dramatic tension and difficulty. Um, but for me, I wouldn't be on board with it. Okay, that's fair. But it's actually what I think they're doing. I think they've laid some breadcrumbs. Yeah. I think one thing to remember is that Keely, while she is in an adult relationship with Roy, she does have some kind of childish tendencies. She can be vain. She can be a little Fair. rapid. So I think there's a part of her that actually lines up with a relationship with Jamie more so than Roy. So I think they're going to explore that. I think this is a real thing. You're going to be really bummed out about it. That's my prediction. Okay. When I'm sad, don't glory in it. Don't rub it in. There's no salt that needs to be placed in this wound. You know I'm not going to like this. You are going to hate it, my friend. <sighs> we'll see. I'm still sticking to my bet this is just a red herring. We'll find out. Meanwhile, Rebecca's been looking for Sam. She finds him as he pulls her into a closet for what we briefly may think maybe for makeouts, but instead is for the tender hug that she's been desperately needing because he's wonderful and all things Ugh. wonderful and perfect. Ugh. It, it, it almost gets a little bit frustrating of where he is a great guy and a great character, but he's so perfect and so flawless. It it Does it grate you a little bit that he's just... It's almost like when they're designing a character to... He's intentionally being designed to have no problems so they can talk about other things. I don't know. I think there's, I mentioned this in a previous podcast, I think there's a little culturism, right? Because he, they, she says he's wise. When have you ever heard a character talk to, to you know. To a 21-year-old? Um, to a 21-year-old, like, white guy from America and say he's wise. The wise thing is because he's from Africa. That's why they're writing that in there, I feel like. And I, I just don't like that aspect. I also think he's just an unrealistic character. The reason I'm, I'm making the sounds in the background of this isn't because Sam's a bad person or that Absolutely the relationship not. I'm seeing portrayed on the screen is somehow unhealthy. It's not at all. It's just I've never, ever encountered a 21-year-old like this. And it, by the way, she breaks up with him here. Spencer, how do 21-year-olds typically deal with a breakup they're not expecting? Not well. Not well. Anger, cursing, storming out, immediate tears. It, it, it's usually a pretty emotional response. He you mean just they don't just say, I'm gonna... like a can't like a champ. You mean they don't just say, I'm going to buy heads up. I'm going to be more wonderful. Come on. It's just unrealistic. That's my problem with it. That's it. And that is exactly how it plays out of where she offers the line that 
this normally only exists when someone's lying to you about the reasons that they're breaking up with you, of where she says that she's breaking up with him because he's wonderful, and she's afraid how, because he's wonderful how much he would he could hurt her. Now, okay. normally, anyone who ever tells you that is lying about the actual reason they're breaking up for you. She actually means it, though, and I will support her in it because it is actually a very valid and mature adult decision that she appears to be making of understanding herself, understanding what, she, what the state she's in and what she needs, understanding that as wonderful as she finds him, that the fact that that's a problem for her says that she's got things she needs to journey through first before she can come back to you. There also uh, seemed to be a little bit of like she's enjoying being single, which she, she yeah. just seemed to have that revelation when she was talking to her mother earlier. It's been kind of wonderful, yeah. And that's also perfectly valid, too. There should be no expectations upon you for what you need when it comes to relationships or lack thereof. Um, Great point. Life lessons with Spencer. You don't have to be in a relationship. No. If you don't, don't want to be, pressure on that. if you're happier that way, then Godspeed. I mean, do what makes you happy in life and don't it, feel pressured into being in a relationship it, if you don't want to be one. If you want to use Tinder as a basis for your interactions with the world through age 90, power to you. If that's what, if that's what makes you happy, kudos. Swipe left all you want. <laughs> uh, you know, and it's not the reasons we complained about for their relationship or the problems with it and the show seems to be setting them up as just kind of an inevitable and ultimate pairing that they will eventually come back to when they're when she's in a better state yep but at least right now she seems to make the mature decision as you say sam just kind of just soldiers through this and just says perfect lines about you know hating big butts and that he's only going to get more wonderful because he's now become the golden god of charm and confidence on this show um and I wish we'd gotten a bit more of his own perspective and experience that came to this relationship, like I already said. But we get at least a little bit of it here, and we get to see him briefly somewhat vaguely saddened, and his mom, and Rebecca's mom saying that she saw him leave the cupboard sad later. But that's what we get, and that's what it is. One thing you can take away from this scene, though, I always like to talk, I always like to talk about what I can take away from something as opposed to what I didn't get. The one thing I got from this is that if somebody's talking to you and they do give you that big, you know, like, hey, Spencer, you know, I really enjoy doing the podcast with you. I've enjoyed it. You know, it's been really important for me. But. Oh, fuck off. I love the fuck line. You. Fuck you. I love, Sorry, yeah. I love the line. <laughs> oh, no, I hate big butts and I cannot lie. That's what I'm taking away from this conversation yeah. is that line That's when somebody line. gives you that butt. Man, I'm going to I'm going to hang on to that. Put that in the back pocket. That's great. Uh, everyone now leaves. And Ted comes over to offer his condolences. Um, there's a bit of a funny moment about whether Ted actually murdered the dad or not. Uh, and Good Rebecca line there from Deborah. Sees that Ted's oh, was late, for one, which is weird, and seems a bit off. And the two of them really haven't talked in, like, half a season that we've seen. So it's kind of nice to see her checking in a bit, given that she, last week, a few moments back, ran off to go find him. It's like when I pick a stock. When I pick a stock, down it goes. When I picked a relationship, they just stopped talking. Well, and <laughs> when I got on Ted and Rebecca, it was like, boop. You better nope, believe that talking again for the rest of the season. You better believe that was intentional because they didn't want you to think about that anymore. They wanted you to be invested in a different relationship, which is sad because uh-huh. their relationship, even as friends, was one of the most wonderful things I liked about season one and that building relationship they had. And there's even the start of season two in that regard. And then it just kind of disappeared as they've gone it seemed really sustainable right it seemed like a sustainable relationship built on something and and seeing it return a bit this episode and seeing how much it meant to her to have ted come back and him pick up the song for it it reminded me how much i loved the the, you know the connection the two of them had and romantic or not i didn't really care about whether it's romantic or not as much as you were invested i loved their friendship and i wish we got more of it again yep same um 
Ted reveals that he met Paul once and was very impressed by him, particularly his ability to do the entire make him laugh routine by Donald O'Connor and Singing in the Rain, which you were singing before we started the podcast, so make I bet laugh, you've seen it before. Make him laugh, make him laugh. If our audience hasn't seen it, it's a wonderful routine, a wonderful scene in a wonderful movie where by the end of it, the man is freaking running up walls while still singing. It's a great, it's great, it's great stuff. Short people have long faces. Long people have short faces. Big people have little humor and little people have no humor at all. Make them laugh. It, hey, um, it wasn't this yet again, the show showing us how therapy works, where that exercise that... Yeah. Dr. Sharon gave Ted of you have this pain associated with this person. Let's try to, Happy if memory. not replace Happy that memory and that pain, let's add Couple to it, it. something yeah. good. Like, yeah, exactly. Let's, let's round out the whole experience you had with this person through a positive memory. And he, he gives that to Rebecca. I thought that was a really, really great moment and, and uh, really uh, solid writing by the show. And I love it's Ted that gives it to her too. Just again, great friends that they are. And it, she honestly appreciates it. It's a happy memory that she forgot that she had. Because so much of, as I said before, that what they're coming into this, how angry they are at them, is clearly in my mind how much they very much loved them up until that moment. And how much more it just went soured and tortured as a result of it. And so, as we hear from Deborah, the two things that made her dad happy were being the center of attention and making Rebecca laugh. And Rebecca seems very appreciative that she's able to remember that now. Now, yep. It also apparently gave Ted very much hopes for getting old, which if Paul really was able to do the whole Donald O'Connor routine uh, at that age, kudos to that man. That is physically oh my God, impressive. Yeah. Dear yeah, God. Yeah, that would the ultimate party trick. Could not do that. At, could not even do a, you know, a fraction of that at any age, much less at 80. Remember how I used to do, like, so our audience doesn't know this, but I used to, um, I learned how to dance like Michael Jackson. Yeah. Because that was like a that was like a thing I would do at parties. Like they'd throw on Billie Jean and I would do the Michael Jackson routine. That always really played really well. I got a lot of run out of that in my twenties and early thirties. <laughs> um, I think this would be even better. Oh, I think man. the make them laugh routine. If you could do that, you summon would, that you on would the fly. Slay every wedding, oh, yeah. every bar mitzvah, every birthday party. You'd be the king. Again, audience, if you've not seen it, it's on YouTube. Watch it. It's awesome. Uh, Agreed. Uh, Ted and Sassy then uh, walk off together with Deborah commenting Florence on... just like wounded birds, doesn't she? Doesn't she just. Becca <laughs> uh, looks on, smiles at that, and also notices uh, Sam getting on the bus. Deborah, perceptive woman that she is, immediately turns over and comments on, looks like you and Sam are taking a break. Her mom, uh, Rebecca briefly thinks that her mom knows everything, but instead reveals that, no, I just saw him leaving the cupboard looking sad. Both of those things can be true, though, right? That's how that's how she knows everything. She knows that. God, that lady she's paying is attention. plugged in, man. She's yeah. super plugged in. She is aware. Uh, and they instead go off to share a drink and look through old pictures and videos of when Rebecca was a child. And I almost want to believe that these are actual videos of Hannah back when she was that age. Perfectly possible. They seem to like to do that in shows and movies. Yeah, they do that a lot, yeah. But before the tape ends, instead give us one last Rickroll. <laughs> With Deborah, like, so much of the rest of the world before they saw that music video thinking that Rick Astley was a big black guy. He's not. He's just a, well, he's a little, he's a little slim ginger and could sing like all kind of hell. I love that. Busting out those stereotype molds. Big uh, molds. Big, soulful singer. Doesn't have to be an old, fat black guy. And the episode ends as they watch that video to the lovely song, I Remember by Molly Drake. Ooh, I Remember by Molly Drake is a real, real pang to the heart if you've never heard that song. 
Um, you're dealing, dealing with loss, I would say that's a great one to help you help you work through it. You will will be Niagara Falls situation. There will be some cry, cries there. Spencer, that's anything fair. else on the recap? Again, it's a show. It's a demonstration of how much of a different show the show has become. But for me, I love the. Again, I always knew this was going to be a dramedy. I didn't necessarily anticipate it would become this much favoring the drama side of things. But driven by some wonderful scenes and some wonderful acting for powerful moments they've been building up to for a while, I thought it was a very solid episode with some niggling issues along the sides. So I'll say this: the show has. I'm calling it the Kafka. The Kafka show. It's it's just it's metamorphized metamorphosized on us right here in front of us it's become the butterfly it's it's a new thing i will say this though i'm a swerve on you spencer mm. i like the episode look at that i i, I can't complain a because, man of diverse taste well but because it's doing what it yeah. now wants to do well i i have to just come to i have to come to some acceptance that the show is not what it used to be it's probably never going to be that again now it's morphed into a 45 minute to an hour long drama but if you accept the show for that, it's a very good version of that. Um, this was a, this was, I mean, how often, Spencer, do we watch an hour long drama and both of us will get on a podcast and admit it made us cry? I mean, that is, that, I mean, I cry out for a lot of stuff, you, but I don't cry for everything. You certainly don't. Like, I think that it, that is a testament to how powerful the episode was. And so if it's going for hour long drama with, you know, sort of serial plot lines that go episode after episode, it's doing it fucking well. So shout out to the show. I give it, I give it credit for it. absolutely that's quality craft right there and you have to acknowledge it yep absolutely thank you spencer long recap this week i think you said Mm -hmm. six notes might be a record at least it's in the top maybe five ten percent so a lot of work on your end as always i speak for the audience in giving you a big round of applause thank you very much for doing the recap i think it's time to move on to our segment train wreck of the episode lot of nominees here i'm going to give honorable mention to nate because he sucks um Who who are you thinking for Trainwreck of the Episode this week? It's hard to say. For I, I think it's unfair to call either Rebecca or Ted the Trainwreck of the Episode, even though they have some of the darkest moments. They also have some of the most profound moments in terms of what they go through and where they end up. They have a lot of growth and healing this episode, even if it has to go through their dark forest of a place. So I think they could be mentioned, but I don't know how fair they are. I, I, I kind of inclined just to say Rupert because he's always That's a shit. It. And I yep. was just... The fact that I had brief hopes that he would turn to the show and not be a shit have just been utterly dashed. He, this is just who this man is. I'm going to say Rupert because if you if you're petty at a funeral, God. that's a special kind of bad. That's a special kind. Of, I don't want to say any human really is evil. I don't I don't like that connotation. But that's that's on the spectrum. I mean, that's a really really <laughs> negative, nasty thing to do is to be petty at somebody's funeral. And if you're using your baby for the purposes of advancing that pettiness, that is a special extra level. Even on top of that. <laughs> You're using he is your a baby's a weapon. Shithead. He is a real. That's what that. There we go. Seal of approval from Mangum Talks. Rupert certified shithead. Just, just everything that Sassy said about him. Just repeat that. And those were our thoughts right there. Yet again, I'm going to reinforce. If somebody it breaks up with your friend and is like really awful about it and is a really bad person to him, be a sassy. That's my, that's my, be a sassy. Fair, um, fair. Sports Center Top 10, let's do it. 10, not 9, nine 11, things that we liked about the episode. You stole my first one. Damn you, Spencer. My first one was the 21 Grams Experiment. <laughs> Roll back an hour and Spencer already covered that. Spencer, what's your, what's your next uh, Sports Center Top 10? Sassy is a friend. I got to mention that first. Yes, because yes. It, it absolutely deserves all mention. It's wonderful what she adds to Rebecca. It's, 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 it's a, testament to how well this show depicts friendships that just the mere return of sassy the physical effect it has on rebecca when she's in her presence 
And that is the marvelous thing that really great friendships can do. And so seeing that, seeing what she offers, seeing what she gives Rebecca that she desperately needs in these moments, seeing the just abject shit she tossed Rupert's way, it was lovely. I, I would pre- I'd say I'd appreciate we saw this character more, but they've been sparing with her, and it's been a wonderful, wonderful touches whenever we get her. See, that's that's why I'm lucky to be able to do a podcast with you. What a sh- what a great point about how when Sassy falls over the, the little guardrail onto the balcony, Rebecca, up until now in the scene, terrible mood, lifts her shoulders and smiles and is just physically changed Instantly. because her buddy is there. That is yeah. a great point, and I think that's great acting and writing all the way around for the show. Mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about the... Uh, reference to the Yeezys, specifically the red Please Yeezys. Please explain who them. Knows me, knows that I'm a sneakerhead. So um, Kanye wanted to put out a sneaker line, and he he worked with Nike, if you can believe it. So they created the Nike Air Yeezy line. Um, so these uh, the Air Yeezy twos. So the, the Air Yeezy ones came out; they were pretty popular. But the Air Yeezy twos are the ones that really busted in the cultural con- consciousness. They're the ones that were made on a very small scale not a lot of these were made and so they are extremely popular on the secondary market the most popular of which is the all red called the red october so a little bit on the air yeezy twos they were announced on may 29th um 2014 and um no 2013 and they were released on june 9th 2013. only 5,000 made in each colorway colorway spencer just means a color pattern on a sneaker only 5,000 made the most popular were the Red Octobers. They were released, a surprise released, on February 9th, 2014. Sold out within seconds. Not even a minute. They sold out within seconds. All 5,000. Hold on to your hat, Spencer. Sit down if you're not sitting down. Secondary market markets for the um, for the Air Yeezy 2 SP Red Octobers. Have them somewhere in the range. This is used. fifteen dollars to $24,000. I'm going to be like Tom Hanks and Big... I don't get it. I don't get it. I'm never going to get this. So it, it, it was intentional on the show's part to mention the Red Octobers. They're probably the most expensive shoe on the secondary market right now um, that aren't antiques, right, that, that, are, that were recently made. They're preposterously expensive. When you go to, like, the default, hey, what's your, you know, are you a sneakerhead? If you have the Air Yeezy Red Octobers, that's, like, the elite of the elite. Mm-hmm. So it, it's purposeful on the show's Part. But yes, Spencer, if you want to uh, carve out a little bit of that 401k for a new investment, uh, 24 grand, you can get yourself a pair of Air Yeezys. I'll just steal one of your four. I'm sure that you have. <laughs> next one. Uh, next one for me, uh, Jason Sudeikis is acting this episode. Wonderful moments with the character. Great moments in the show. Moments we've been building up to the entire show's run. But that man's acting in this episode. Just yes. why, why do we even need to do nominations for Emmys next year? Just give it to him. I, I I struggle to say someone else is going to summon how wonderful he was in these scenes this episode. Yep. I'm going to go to um, Sassy made a reference uh, when somebody, I think it was Rebecca said she was looking good. She said the Tracy Anderson workouts are having their effect. Tracy Anderson yeah, is an get American, American fitness entrepreneur and author. She's basically one of these like, um, you know, like uh, any of these like fitness gurus types, except that, you know, she's pretty legit. She have this. She has this thing called the Tracy Anderson method, hmm. and what it is, it's a method aimed at targeting the the strengthening muscles, um, the accessory muscles to achieve a long and lean body. So it's kind of in the vein of Pilates, where you're doing a lot of balance stuff to work on those accessory muscles. I actually give this a cosine. This isn't hokey. 
um, yeah, it's a it's a great workout. Uh, the Tracy Anderson method. It, it's for beginners, right? It's not not for you know big workout heads. But if you're new to it, yeah, Tracy Anderson, pretty good call. Okay. Uh, last one for me. I feel like I'm probably number twelve by now. Uh, the realization and the importance of realization that not being in a relationship can also be a good thing, and it can also be a happy thing or something that you yep. need. I really yep. appreciated the show depicted that a little degree. I liked as much as we said many other reasons why she shouldn't be with Sam that that was the one she kind of went with. Because it's a very personal one to realize and personal one to go through. And if you can come to that point of knowing what you want and knowing what you want to get out of life and knowing what stage of life you're in and what you want in that moment, that's a very powerful and good thing. And I, if that's what Rebecca's going through, I'm all here for it. Okay. Uh, final one for me. This is not 12, Spencer. This is 10, 10 on the nose like we do every week. Podcast professionals that we are. Roy, when he's explaining that, really impacted me. He's explaining that his, his oh, grandfather yeah. died. He would pray every night um, to to see him just one more time. Uh, I covered how relatable that should be for everyone and how mm-hmm. you should maybe find some comfort in the fact that someone else has that same feeling because I'm sure we all feel it. He does make a reference to Obi-Wan Kenobi. So the reference there <laughs> is the Force Ghost phenomenon in Star Wars. We see this for Indeed. the first time. Correct, correct me if I get any of this wrong, Spencer. Yeah, you, you're more knowledgeable about this than me, but I think that the first time we see this is in The Empire Strikes Back. It's Obi-Wan it is. Kenobi. Then we see it again in Return of the Jedi, very last scene with Yoda, Obi-Wan, and Anakin. They switched out the Anakin to be Hayden Christensen later. Hate very that. Controversial, Hate very controversial. Very controversial situation. Then we see it again in The Last Jedi, also controversial, when Yoda visits Luke, uh, and then Luke becomes a Force ghost in the final battle. Spoiler alert. Uh, then we see it again in The Rise of Skywalker with Yoda, among others. Um, just a quick question for you. I know we need to wrap up soon, Spencer. How do you feel about the Force Ghost? It is a very controversial thing in the Star Wars canon. I am perfectly fine with how it was used in most of the time in Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. It was a nice way of getting good characters back to be able to provide that ongoing connection. It's never was heavily explained or whatever else, but you know, in the original Star Wars movies, they didn't really feel the need to, and we were okay with it because it was all myth and legend anyway. It was fine. The appearance of Yoda and Luke's transcending of consciousness across dimensions, everything that was done in uh, Last Jedi. The talk with Yoda was okay, other than that the more recent Star Wars films are really... They don't seem to be able to remember that Yoda, the whole fake Yoda thing was actually a fake thing that he was just using as a pretense to briefly confuse Luke as to who he is, and they all now just emphasize that aspect of his character as if that's who he really was. And that's a design choice I've never really quite liked. Uh, in terms of... It, Last Jedi and its use of it. I've got a lot of problems with that movie that we can probably dedicate to its own podcast. So I'm generally positive about it and have the same complaints I've always raised about the more recent Star Wars movies. I enjoyed Last Jedi an awful lot. Uh, it was better than Rise of Skywalker, although Rise of Skywalker was not as bad as people thought it was. Shout out Game of Thrones Season 8. Okay. Are we ready for. <laughs> no, Ted's you don't get to leave on those points, you bastard. Are we ready for Ted's Life Lessons? Sure, yeah. Run away from those statements before you get stabbed with pitchforks. Go on. No, hell no. I'll fight I'll fight all day. Give me the boxing gloves. I like those two movies. Okay. All right. We covered a lot of this, actually. Um, because one of them is I had to uh, get a friend like Sassy. Um, I just do... I, I can't drive this point home enough. It, yeah. Sticking up for your friend will really will really strengthen them. It will, it will steal their backbone when they see their friends sticking up for them. Don't be afraid to be just a smidge petty with your friend's exes. That can go a long way to help your friend gain confidence, rebuild, and have trust in others. How about this one for you, Spencer? Please. Growing up, growing up, I used to believe that if you do good things, you go to heaven. You do bad things, you go to hell. Nowadays, I know we all just do both. So wherever he is, I hope he's happy. I mean, I, I don't have to really 
talk, I don't have to expound on that very much, right? Is that like, I think a lot of times we think in this black and white of are people good? Are you bad? Do you go to heaven? Do you go to hell? Have you helped me? Have you not helped me? A good person, bad person. Everyone is a mix. Every mm-hmm. single person on this earth is gray. So always try to remember that when you, when you, you know, it's very common in conversations to hear someone say that person's an asshole. You know, like I, hell, I say it on this podcast. It's a very common thing to say. Yeah, re- Always re- try to remember, though, that what you're really saying is there is an aspect of that person's personality. Or they've done something that I don't like, but they are not. No one is a asshole 100 percent, except for Nate. No one is a bad person all the way around. And so just always try to remember the gray. And I think that's the lesson here in what Ted says. Always try to remember the gray. I'm with that with the nuance of, but don't get apathetic by it. That the fact that there is bad in the world, don't write off the bad that you then see. Don't, you know, do the classic Russian scenario of do whataboutism to dismiss any problem that occurs in the world. As much as you can acknowledge there is, as much as you can acknowledge good and bad can exist in equal measure, appreciate and support the good because otherwise nothing is able to function either. Oh, it's interesting that your mind went there because really what I was trying to go for is just understanding and empathy as opposed to apathy. And I I fully understood that was your point. I just want to provide a little nuance that I'm afraid some people can fonder on and that they can take a certain degree of understanding and lead it to become rudderless to the world at the idea that there is darkness and everything and at all things as well. Yeah, no, I, I, I re, yeah, thank, yeah, thank you for that because that's certainly not where my mind went. I mean, I, my thing is just like when you're talking, I think it's really important how we talk about things. When you're talking about someone, Absolutely. I would say that for me, it's helpful to not go black and white and how I, I discuss people and I discuss things because mm-hmm. no one is all bad. And if you if you lay all bad on them, I'm not saying dismiss the bad things they do, but if you lay all bad on them, um, then, then you're just not seeing the world as it is. There's gray in everybody, and that's an okay we, thing, and it, it can help you with um, some empathy and understanding about people. We, we learn the world as if it's a series of blocks that we put in holes, and that that's how everything is. And that we, as we get older, we realize that blocks are in every possible shape, and there's not always a hole that fits perfectly. And that's fine and okay, and it's part of human empathy to understand how differently everybody comes at you. And I believe 100% what Ted said. And so if there is a St. Peter up there at the gates letting people in or sending people down, um, tough job. (laughs) Tough fucking job. I will believe you will find it's actually Cindy Clawford and there is room by the fire. All are welcome. Curl right up, folks. Okay, I only have one more. Um, Because we covered a lot of these. We actually, apropos of the episode, this has been a very, very serious episode of The Lasso Lowdown. And here's what I've got for you. Um... And this is a quote from Ted. I knew right then and there that I was never going to let anybody get by me without understanding they might be hurting inside. Good you know, God, life yes. is hard. It's hard. It's real hard. Here's my thing. I don't know if anybody out there has ever uh, known someone who has committed suicide. Uh, I I have. Um, you don't see it coming. You re- you know. I, I I most of the time you don't see it coming. And so the lesson there is try to treat people as if they could be on edge all the time. I know it's hard. You're not always going to be able to do so. You're having a bad day. You'll snap at people whatever but to the extent that you can try to remember that there's everyone has something else going on everyone has a struggle that you're not seeing so my advice is to always treat people with that in mind they you may never see that pain but it's probably there for everyone you never know what people are going through just try to treat people that way um i hope that's not super bland or overly no no uh, overly vague but what i'm driving at there is that the people who are really fighting an internal battle and they might be losing that internal battle, you, you never know until it's too late. Well said, sir. 
Okay. On that really rosy note, uh, <laughs> I think we can. Uh, I think we can wrap up. Spencer, any concluding thoughts about the episode? This did a good job of crystallizing and directing a few of the plot points going forward. I still think it's going to be hard for them to wrap up everything perfectly in the next two episodes. They've got a, This has been a complicated season where everyone's been on their own journey. But I think this at least sets some framing that they're able to pull it off, even if I think a few they're just going to quietly sweep under the rug for ease. But it does leave me very excited to see how we go through our penultimate and final episode of season two. Yeah, I mean, it's... I like the show, like I mentioned, I like the show for what it is now. It's changed. I'm going to have to come to terms with that. It's just a different show. What's hard for me is in doing these podcasts, I'm sp- I, I feel like I'm supposed to be the funny guy. I'm trying to make people laugh on this thing. <laughs> it's hard, hard for to this. Make it, really kind of hard because this is a lot of serious shit. I mean, they're dealing with, you know, the trauma of seeing a parent cheat, you know, of hearing and seeing, you know, a father kill himself, of suicide, of... All of that, I mean, really, really heavy stuff. It's hard to have a lighthearted podcast. So, folks, if you're listening and you're like, wow, what a bummer for an hour and a half, I'm sorry. That's just what the episode is. But I will say... We're here for you. I, ex- I expect this going forward. That's what I think the show is now. I don't think we're going back. So, 45 minutes to an hour, drama, episode, I think that's what we're getting for at least one more season because Spencer is absolutely resolute that Jason Sudeikis needs to stick to his three-season arc because that's what he said. Damn it. Mm-hmm. I- if there's, if there's a hill I'm going to die on when it comes to this show, three-season arc, I am with it. I wish more shows would be determined to not just go into late-season bloat, have a plan, stick to it, and, well, have a plan, stick to it, do it in the time frame you originally intended. Also, don't do it do not do it how I, how I Met Your Mother about it as well. Oh, God. Wow. What a lesson in not to do with a show, How I Met Your Mother. Oh, <laughs> castigate. Down. Ways. Knock it down the ladder. Low on the power rankings. Okay, that's it. I think that we can wrap up season two, episode 10. I want to, th- first off, I feel really, really fortunate to be able to do this podcast. I enjoy doing the podcast with you, Spencer. You're a fun guy to talk to. We have a great time doing it. And I really, really appreciate the fans that are out there because we put out a call a few episodes ago. We said, hey, a lot of people are listening. They're rating, but they're not commenting. And we want to hear your comments. You guys responded in force. We got a lot of comments in. And I got to tell you, I've enjoyed every single one of them. So please, if you have thoughts about the podcast, things you want us to know, feedback for us, things you want us to change, add, please write a review in your favorite podcast app. We check them all on your favorite podcast platform or go to mangumtalks.com, upper right-hand corner, click contact us. We love the feedback and we thank you all for listening. It's a lot of fun knowing that a lot of you are out there enjoying this fun, fun, dramatic, but ultimately fulfilling and entertaining uh, show with us. So in that vein, we will be back with you next week for the penultimate episode of season two. We will be back next week for season two, episode 11. Hope you all have a good week and we'll see you then. Thank you.